Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Jared Scheffler. I've not heard of this. <laughs> Never heard the intro? Jared Olson with Rubline Marketing. This is Jeff Lindsay. This is Michael Pitt. Hey, everybody. It's John Dudley from Knock On TV. Hey guys, this is Jared Scheffler from Whitetail Adrenaline. Hi, I'm Taylor Drury from Drury Outdoors. Hey, this is Nick Burton from Bone Collector. Hey, this is Melissa Buckman. Working class bow hunter. Working class bow hunter. Working class bow hunter podcast. Working class bow hunter podcast. Working class bow hunter. Working class bow hunter. Working class bow hunter. You're listening to the Working Class Bow Hunter. That's right. This is a podcast for Billy Joe Lunch Bucket, the working man, just like me and you. My name's Travis T. Bone Turner from the Bone Collector. Thank you for tuning in. Nobody pushes the envelope like working class bow hunter. It's really, really not that good. That's you. <laughs> I forgot that you've never heard it, probably. <laughs> it is episode 539 of the Working Class Boner Podcast. Jared's never heard our full intro. I, I've never heard that till just now. That's really not that you good. You really did not know that? I didn't know that. Uh, I've told him that. But it's not that good or that I did. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember? Do you remember no. saying that when we did that? No. I've, oh shit! That so was that was in 2015. You were like episode 15, and that's well, when we I had remember you that. that. I was one of your early ones, but yeah. I didn't. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't we remember. so our thing was for a while we were having. You know, most people be like, listen to working class bowhunter, kind of like in our intro was. But when we first started, we were on a stint of, hey, just bash us. Give, like bash us, say whatever, and that's what you said. Oh, really? Yeah. So that was. <laughs> we didn't even tell you to say that. You just said. <laughs> that's it. what I said. So that was seven years ago. That's great. Um, so that's what we had like for uh, a span of them. We just tried to get every guest to say something really bad You've about us. You've used that for seven years. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Uh, you should probably yeah. listen to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Jerry. I know. Yeah. 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 This podcast. Hey, listener. hey, when you Don't didn't launch a video, way. we kept you afloat, and you, you still didn't. You know, just tune in. <laughs> I know. I know, I know. Thank you, by the way. So, so uh, relevant, relevant, relevant. Kept, yeah, you, kept yeah. you afloat. Kept relevant. Me, kept me relevant. Uh, Kurt Geyer here. 
Eric Common. Uh, first uh, appearing, people are you're known in the podcast uh, listenership base um, from just kind of being the PR guy. PR Paletta is on a podcast. <laughs> What's up, buddy? What's up, guys? My first one. Pretty excited about it. Thanks for being here. Hell yeah. Then moving around the table, Garrett. Schleif? Yes, yes. Uh, from Grizzly Stick. So I've uh, been building arrows and broadheads for about 20 years and building arrows for Jared. So we were yeah. kind of talking about some of the different stuff we've been up to. We've been geeking Very out cool. for a day. Yeah. So we, we've talked a lot on the phone over the course of what? Six, five, well, yeah. five, six years because somebody detected that I was using your stuff. And then, and, we, and then you reached out to so me. So you were using it before, before you guys even connected. Oh, yeah. yeah. I've, I've been. I don't know how much money and shit that I've bought from, but <laughs> it do. was it was a lot. And then he, I know I how said, much. when I <laughs> shot that when I shot that giant typical, somebody I think you told me a customer caught that I was using. Yeah, this I didn't know. I I'd never and, had no idea. So yeah. uh, this is a, a fun podcast. So this kind of yeah. Pierre Paletta, of course, being the PR guy that he is, was like, "Hey, this would be a great episode. Let's connect here. This would be a lot of fun to get everyone together and talk." Uh, it works great for us too because the connection we work with. Victory Arrows on uh, you know friendship level of course but on a business level too and you have a great connection with them Both also friendship and business so they've been building my arrows for me for about seven years now so Steve awesome. and I and Jason and Nate and kind of the whole crew definitely yeah. we've known each other for quite a while works out perfect it works out great so uh, let's get into it then man I mean I don't really know where we start this but let's just start Japanese I, I jobs never and... do that's what I love about this podcast we never know where we're going we always end up places Eric how lame would it be if we're like, here's your bullet points for the show. Okay, we, we don't do go it, off we do track. A handout. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Handout. Here's your pamphlet. Don't go off track, otherwise you're done. You know, no, that's it's, open, it's open platform. Um, so you have a shirt on that says "Run FOC," correct? And that is going. People who aren't in hunting or interested in arrows and specifics and arrow nerds aren't going to know what that means. And then you probably have people attack you with questions when you wear that shirt. Not so much attack. Well, I, I don't go do. I'm not in the normal circuit with okay. most of the other manufacturing guys, so I don't go to ATA. I don't go do a lot of the stuff. We're all consumer direct and have been for a long time, so we run things a little bit differently. So, yeah. not necessarily attacked, but it, we almost do it as a big fu to kind of you know we believe in it. You know, yeah. kind of don't necessarily preach it, but we believe in it, and it's just a way that we kind of like to show people that we like it. And the guys that sure. geek out on the focs, you know, they think it's pretty. Guys cool. are passionate about arrows, and that's yeah. a good thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. But how did you get into it? I mean, how did this all kind of roll into you being Grizzly Stick and then? So, family business. So uh grew up in Alaska. My dad was a guide. We owned lodges. So grew up kind of in the industry. And uh, he started in 1994, started Alaska Bow Hunting Supply. It was all trad. So for about a 10-year period there, we were one of the bigger trad companies. And tabs and gloves had the contracts with Cabela's and Bass Pro and stuff like that. Very cool. Um, and just kind of got into it. Started building arrows in 98 with St. Croix Rod Company in Fall City, Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. um, and they built for us for a while. And then we bounced around through several factories. Uh, 2004, there was a big slowdown in carbon. Nobody could get it. So everybody went offshore together. Um, so I was telling Jared just the other day, in a 10-year stint from about 2006 to 16, I was in Asia 25 times. Wow, oh, shit. So you spend a lot of time trying to build this stuff, figuring out how to do it. Um, that was one of the other reasons when Steve came. 
and knocked on our door and said, hey, I'm interested in doing this. I'm like, man. Steve would, at Victory. You're at saying. Victory, yeah. And I was like, I'd rather fly to San Diego mm-hmm. than fly to some yeah. place that's difficult to pronounce. For people that follow the podcast <laughs> week by week, he's talking, you know, Steve Greenwood from Victory that we did the podcast with, yep. the ATA yep. from India and told all the crazy stories. Steve will tell you some crazy stories. Crazy shit. Yeah, crazy stuff. So um, <laughs> actually, <it>. so <laughs> just you were talking about, so we were all trad made arrows tapered because we were trad guys and when we started making arrows the only thing we really cared about was we wanted to go stump shooting and not break arrows Mm -hmm. that was it there was no science or philosophy we just wanted to break arrows Mm -hmm. so started building arrows and over the years it progressed um and with the designs and then by the time we got to um working with victory we were pretty refined in what our designs were and what we wanted to build which was great because they're really the only guys that can build it Mm -hmm. um if you know steve's background and the background of of victory and mitsubishi and yep there's just not a lot of places that can with the technology that can build this stuff a lot of people don't realize until we talk about on the podcast like mitsubishi and victory are like the same they're the same. They're absolutely the same. So yeah, yeah. they're a division of Mitsubishi. Yeah, right. So, um, so which is like, why is an arrow company in California? It seems weird, but well, or, or, or where it is in California. Well, we were, just, we were talking about that too. It's ironic that San Diego is the birthplace of Carbon Arrows. That's where all the companies came. That's where <laughs> most of that manufacturing happened in Tijuana. I was telling them the story that in 1990 I was a freshman at San Diego State University, and I walked into at the time it wasn't Victory. It's probably had over the last 25 years, two or three, maybe four owners mm-hmm. um, and walked in at the time. It was Black Eagle, not Black Eagle, Black Hawk Archery. Mm-hmm. You guys remember old Black Hawk arrows? Mm-hmm. I don't. Yeah, no, that was that would have been in the, <laughs> He's late, like, no, you don't. No, it would have been in the late 80s and they were probably a five year window. <laughs> I wasn't born yet. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no wonder we don't remember. Yeah, yeah, so, don't remember. So, and Steve was involved in all of that. So actually, when I flew down to San Diego in our first round of meetings, if they were going to if we were going to work together and figure out how we were going to build this stuff. Um, I told them a story. I said, in 1990, I walked into your guy's office as a freshman, all shy. And I couldn't believe that there's an arrow company in San Diego. And, you know, my dad had been building arrows for two years and walked in and said, listen, I'm, I'm studying marketing. I will work for you guys for free. I want to be an intern. And the guy behind the desk was the biggest asshole of the world. And so I told Steve that story. And he's like, I don't remember the guy's name. Steve just laughed. He's like, oh, you know, that was Bob. Yeah, they they knew exactly who it was. was. So uh, (laughs) ironically, San Diego has been kind of that epicenter for that. Not through, it really had to do more with Tijuana. And it had to do more with um, aerospace engineering all the Navy complex there. Yeah. So that's where all the carbon manufacturing. So that's really where it was developed. And Steve's been involved in that since the beginning. That's so crazy. I'd say 40 years. He's been, he didn't give himself enough credit when we did that podcast about like his background and stuff. He just wanted to tell stories about hunting. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't give a shit about (laughs) anything. Like all all cool stuff. I didn't listen to it, but did he do, did he call pigs? Have you ever heard him call pigs? Uh, he didn't call pigs on the podcast, but he told us you guys did come to California and shoot some pigs with us. So, so he grew up in India, professional hunting with his, with his dad. Yep. No, oh, he he told some of these the, stories, yeah, yeah, but he never did the call. Oh, scary. Oh, really? Oh, scary. Like he sounds more like he, a squealing pig than a squealing pig. He talked about getting bit by monkeys, yeah. uh, hunting tigers when you could do it, yeah. and and all that shit. So that's so how we ended up. So I was mentioning before we don't go to ATA. We don't. We're not really mainstream as far as traditional or archery company. Not necessarily traditional. Yeah. So uh, what happened for us is in nineteen. I'm sorry. In two thousand eight, two thousand nine, we got into SCI for mm-hmm. the first time. And SCI even back then was about a five year waiting list to get in. And 
we had just been developing some of the bigger broadheads in the area. To get like a booth or something set up at an SCI show? Yeah. So it, took to, it was a five-year waiting list even to get a booth um, to get in. So we finally got in and we did that once and quit ATA immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh, started Dallas the next year, Dallas Safari Club. And that really became for the last you know, 10, 15 years for us, that really became our bread and butter. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say most people, and that's why it's great for us to do this. Most people in the whitetail world never even heard of us. A lot of people outside of the U.S. never even really heard of us. In Africa and big game hunting around the world, you know, we were pretty well known. Yeah, we, we've been doing it for a long time. We have a you know a, a lot of customers with a lot of success. Yeah, and big fucking animals. Big stuff. <laughs> so I think for us now, um, the last time we were counting and counting, adding up over two thousand Cape buffalo. Wow. Over 100 bull elephants. How many I, giraffes? A lot. I don't know. We don't usually count that. The big three for us in brown bears, we have well over 100 brownies. How many giraffes? Uh, including the world record. Yeah, which is, hey, we don't know much about all that, but we know giraffes. Yeah, here. we know giraffes. giraffes. <laughs> I shall. And they're, they're amazing, right? So, that's, and so we've been building heavy stuff because we all came out of trad, mm-hmm. uh, came out of Alaska. And we were all shooting lighter pound, 50 pound stick bows, trying to kill moose. And, you know, right. if you could hit them just right, you could kill them. If you hit them just anywhere but a less than perfect shot. It was you hit them just wrong. It was a long Probably. day for you in, in the 30 yacht set. Someday. Someday. Right. So we, we were. So that's really where a lot of this came <clears> from on the background of just trying to make equipment because of our own hunting situation. And this is where it tied in. And we really started connecting Jared and I mm-hmm. on the philosophies behind a lot of this. Cause we're both stick bow guys. We both like getting really close. Yeah. So it was, I don't care how much the arrow weighs and I don't care how fast it's going. I care if it penetrates. That's number one. Right. And then everything else kind of goes yeah. into, into line with that because of the situations we get in. And for me, a lot of the animals that I hunt, I hunt a lot of the bigger stuff. Mm-hmm. So it was like, I got to, and I don't shoot heavy poundage, so I'm like, I gotta squeeze every bit out of this arrow and broadhead setup yeah. because I'm not I'm not casting it very fast. Right. So um, that tied right into what he's doing. Now he's getting into more of this extreme stuff and higher poundage and stuff, and that's been really interesting and fascinating to me than setting up guys on a 70 pound compound. I, I want I do want to get into as much as that as possible, Jared, with you and like what you're shooting in yeah. and all that stuff. But I, uh, I want to focus on arrow weights for a yeah. second because I feel like that's like the one thing people nerd out Scared. on or are yeah. concerned with yeah. or unconcerned with yeah. or eye roll on the internet, you know, yeah. the yeah. internet. Yeah. Um, what is, what do, what do you think is like, what's considered a light arrow? Like let's, if you, if from your knowledge, like what's a light arrow and, and wait, what's a medium heavy arrow? What's I would say for me, we're talking any, about hunting, hunting, not hunting, hunting. white tails or I get, white, let's go white tail, uh, deer, deer, just deer. In general. Light for me would be under 450 grains. Um, That's light. Okay. Wow. So, um, and I would say mid range would be 450 and 650 and above would be higher. Okay. Um, Interesting. Kind of depending on what guys want to do and how they want to hunt. So yeah. That's, you know, and there's a lot of different philosophies how we'll set guys up into those arrow weights mm-hmm. depending on how far they shoot, what their lethal distance is, and, and the situations that they hunt them, you know, they find themselves in. Yeah. Yeah. What we found is just like in my own hunting, in your hunting, right. Guys that are shooting lighter poundage that are getting closer are shooting much heavier than guys shooting out of an elevated platform, out of a tree stand mm-hmm, at, mm-hmm. at a known distance. Yeah, right. You know, okay. It becomes, it becomes, we don't have a lot of time to be picky. I can't wait for broadside a lot of time when I'm inside 20. Okay. That, I, I don't want to wait for it. <laughs> so I have another wait, question. So, so, so that's, a, I'm just going to chime in here no, for do a it. second. Please do. Please so do. what I learned is if, if you're shooting not a very good broadhead and not a very good arrow being a flimsy arrow, whatever durability, it flexes a lot. 
You know, it's a weak spine. A broadside shot makes sense because of a lot of factors. Mm-hmm. I prefer a head-on shot, but I'm shooting really good equipment. I'm shooting a really good broadhead design. I'm shooting a really heavy arrow. And now my... my um, a lot can go wrong on a broadside. Sure, it's the biggest kill zone in theory, mm-hmm. but reactions of an big. animal... Which you can't predict, and that that yeah. was a light bulb moment for me in 2010 when I was editing this footage. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah, I've had a lot of hunting experience, but I get to edit all this stuff. Right, and you I get to see what these deer are doing, and we're chasing limited. them on the ground. We're getting in tight. Got a guy filming, and it's like 50 percent or better of the situations. Those animals got us pegged. We don't have much time. And broadside deer, they're the most. It's it's the most difficult shot that I've found in those scenarios to predict what that animal is going to do. I've seen them at 35 yards drop two inches. I've seen them drop what looks to be 14 to 16 inches. Yeah. Both high tense animals. How can I, I can shoot 12 rings all day long. And that was an eye opening moment. And it pissed me off because I was all precision based archery back then. Yeah. But I was like, unless I know exactly what that animal is going to do. And I've got multiple scenarios where, oh, this one dropped six inches. That one dropped 14. That one dropped two. They're all high tense. How am I going to know? You don't. You don't. You don't. And I I watched this arrow fly through the air out of a 70-pound compound. And that animal didn't start reacting until I figured the arrow was 15 yards out of the bow. This one particular one was 26 yards away, this deer. And that he he had us pegged, but he didn't start reacting until the arrow was 15 yards out of the bow. And, you know, you can go frame by frame in video. It's so you can run the frames per second. So it's like, okay, I did the math. In 7 to 10 inches of arrow travel, he can drop up to an inch and a half to two inches. That's your 12 ring right there. It's so crazy. Now, yeah. now his first instance that he starts, his back line starts dropping, it's only going to probably drop a quarter to a half inch. But the next frame of video, which would be 30 frames a second, so a 30th of a second, he'll, he'll go from, like, maybe dropping a half inch to an inch. And it'll progress into the next frame will be maybe an inch and a quarter. And then pretty soon you're getting an inch and a half of drop on the next frame. So seven to 10 feet of arrow travel. That's, I'm like, I can't put all my eggs in this basket of accuracy precision anymore. Mm-hmm. I can't do it because I've seen too much truth of situations, not in hunting. Sure. Range, target. Great. Yeah. And I was all precision accuracy based back yeah. then. I'm hitting the dot. I need to go back to and and I went down this pathway with penetration and things way back 20 years ago. But this is 2010 so I've seen that 20 years ago. Then I kind of went a little bit of a different direction just playing around like we all do, right? right. Yeah. Try different things. Something and different. then obviously once I that's there's a lot of things. I I left a compound because I loved getting close to whitetails and I realized not only the compound bow with the way it's designed today, along with how I was shooting that compound bow, is really handicapping me. Mm-hmm. And compared to what I visioned a longbow becoming, but it takes a, it's a long pathway. The, the type of archery I do is a long pathway. But if I master that, I have ultimate, ultimate in all the pillars, what I call pillars. Like that's going to let me be the deadliest I can possibly be mm-hmm. once I'm inside of that range. It doesn't give me extreme range like a compound did. Right. So, I mean, I, so I, I, one thing I, I want to bring up, because I know if I don't bring it up now, I'm going to forget. And then yeah. I know that 
people are going to comment it on TikTok because the best hunters in the world are on TikTok. I don't know if you guys knew that or not. Oh, I, no, I, that. Yeah. I just learned. They know the most. They know the most. Yeah. They've killed the most deer. Yeah. We haven't killed shit compared good, to the good, TikTok good, hunters. Good, good. Yeah. So we all need to really listen to their podcast and watch all their hunting videos and see all their posts about the big bucks they've killed. But I've I never know. been on TikTok once in my life, so I've heard of the app. Imagine what you could know. That sounds funny, but I haven't. Imagine what you could know. You're missing out. I'd know. I'd know so much more. You'd be sure. way better than Jared Scheffler, the fucking biggest. Jared Scheffler two. Sounds like I'd be yeah. following a set of methodologies set up by other people rather than just doing my own thing. You'd be your own god of TikTok hunting knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> okay, getting to it. Yeah. Anyway, I know someone. We're talking Arrowhead and yeah. shit like that, and yeah. I know this question's going to come up, so I'm asking yeah. it. So it's out there. Is Guys who shoot heavy arrows are just t- they. That's just their excuse to take bad unethical shots. Terrible. That's 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 false. Here's in my the thing, though. You gotta you gotta define what is the term unethical. <laughs> okay, let me go this way. No. Frontal. Okay, uh, frontal. Facing, frontal hard facing away in shots. In my opinion, and and Garrett can chime in on this more because he's he's got a lot of reports from bigger game yeah. animal. I'm more whitetail based, right? Yeah, right. right. So let's. This is good yeah. di- dynamic now, here. Now, I'm asking so this I question through this the internet. Through this is a Kurt Geyer's question. <laughs> okay. For the all right. So it's all on video. 2010. That same season. I ended up accidentally shooting one front L. He had me pegged. He was about 20, 25 yards. And I had the pin right where it needed to be. I figured for that shot, but I was waiting for the deer to turn. Perfect broadside. Yeah, you yeah know, right. Right? Yeah. right. And I've even caught myself in recent times because it becomes a methodology, like perfect broadside, quote unquote. You know, I've caught myself saying it. And I. For, well, how many hunters years. have tur- passed up shots because of that? Well, you just exactly, it's exactly. Just, it gets and, ingrained and, in your and head. And what happened is, is I had my finger on the trigger because that's how I shot. Get your finger on the trigger. You get that bow drawn, get it on there, so you're not panicking. And mm-hmm. you know that's how I shot. Well, I was at full draw for a long time, and my finger eased off of that trigger, and I caught it, and I was like, "Get back on that." Well, I was shooting a fairly, you know, it was stiff enough I could get my finger on there without it going off. But I put a little too much pressure, and the bow went off. I was like, son of a bitch. You know? Yeah. Well, and I was not shooting a good broadhead for that type of shot, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. For one, it was a mechanical. I was shooting Scott's left-handed bow. (laughs) And that's what he had it set up with. (laughs) I got you. Um, But, you know, I gave him like an hour, and I heard from all the magazines and blah, 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 frontal, da-da-da-da-da. Well, it was... Maculant blood trail, the deer obviously piled up. Yeah. You know, right out of sight. Yeah, front, I, front I literally said it on video. If you put it in the right I spot literally said it on video. I might have to reevaluate my thinking on this head on shot. So then, obviously, it's like, okay, this broadhead did perform in that particular case, but I already know, like, it's going to fail in certain cases. Well, you so watch. I'm going to go with a good quality setup, enough arrow weight, right broadhead design. Now that becomes the most lethal shot you can put on an animal, right. and you don't have to factor in the reaction. See, dead man's own. I mean, that's that's generally where people hit and lose deer a lot of times. For sure. If yeah. their if their broadhead Scalpula. if their broadhead yeah. doesn't fail and their arrow doesn't fail, the most common place they're going to hit and not recover that animal is yeah. going to be that zone. Well, I don't have to think about on a head on deer because if you watch it, any any whitetail that reacts to an arrow coming in, their front always drops. Much more and ahead of timing than their ass. Their ass will be hanging in the air, and they'll already have six inches drop so on the front. They're, they're doing the drag. More and, and, and eventually their, their ass yeah. begins to drop, but it doesn't drop as much as their front. Right, right. And so the timing 
and the rate there you don't have that to think about you don't have uh if they take a step forward no big deal so yep. it's a smaller kill zone in terms of size right like but right and nothing, left, but up and down if you're shooting an arrow more. that goes through that it's over yeah. i don't I mean, you cut enough material in there, you don't even... You hit them high shoulder on a head-on shot. If your arrow and broadhead doesn't divert and it keeps that direction, it's going to come out between their legs on the belly side, mm-hmm. even if it hits them high shoulder because of the rate of drop yeah. their front. Does that make sense? So yeah, there's no more dead man zone. Yeah. I mean, a deer I shot last year, I don't hunt out of the trees anymore, but I come over the top on them. Mm-hmm. And I showed you that clip last mm-hmm. night, Garrett. Mm-hmm. Not. Right when I got up there, I've never been presented with that shot because I'm on the ground, right? But I'm like right over the top of this thing, and he's in his bed, and I'm coming over the top. And I'm like, six, six, about the mule- six yards, the muley, yeah, 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 four and a half yards. <laughs> is, yeah, yeah, half. exactly. That's but I was right over the top. Now to a lot of guys that would scare the shit out of him, maybe taking a shot like that. But I'm like, well, I'm, my head's gonna it's gonna drive right through him. Yeah, yeah, like no big deal. You're not gonna sit there forever and wait for him to stand up either. Well, wind, cur- you, you got to think about reaction yeah. of the animal, high tense situation. So it's right. actually a safer bet. I had to change some thinking on that years ago too. You know, I was kind of apprehensive on the bet of deer shooting. Well, it's actually a better shot than a deer that's high tense because I don't have reaction to think about. Yeah, yeah. definitely. So you know, if you're shooting really good equipment when it comes to like enough bow poundage, draw length, arrow weight, FOC, broadhead, stiff arrow, all those things that, you know, Garrett well, lays out let, on let us. Me, let me bounce this off you guys then. Then yeah. that shot becomes a very ethical, the, the cleanest, most deadly. Hold on, let me get this yeah. question out. So I get that. Like Frontal is actually a good shot when you know how to do it. You see the born and raised guys shoot elk frontal all yeah. day, and they, they, just, they die yeah. in 10 yards. Yeah. But, right. okay, let me say this then. This is be the next thing that would bounce off the question I just asked. <laughs> Um, okay, you you guys know your equipment, you know everything, but do you think the internet trend of heavy arrows, FOC, all this stuff makes people just? I got a heavy arrow, now I can take more shots, and people don't know their equipment. Like, is is it is it resulting in more wounded animals? Is it not? Is it? I would. But here's the thing: yeah, though, you got some like, stats on that. It's a. Yeah. I'm trying ethics to tap is, into that. Is what I'm trying yeah, to do. But the the definition of ethics is subjective. Right, it is, and, and it that's is. that's the problem that everybody struggles with. I hear this thing like, "Did you take an ethical shot?" You, well, that depends. On, who it's defined, all relative? Yeah, exactly. Who defined what an ethical shot? What's was? your broadhead? And what's your arrow weight? What's yeah. your animal you're hunting? Also, it's it changes like last ten, fifteen years. Yeah, the definition of ethical shot has changed. But the pers- problem that I have with it is that who's defining that? Ethical it's a shot? personal, it's thing a subjective thing. Yeah, it is. And, that's a very good point. And, and that's what I want everyone to understand. With that is that it's a subjective look at what an ethical shot is, and it's more of an opportunistic shot, in my opinion, because I have the opportunity to take the shot because of the equipment I shoot. Mm-hmm. Therefore, there's no ethics involved in it Bingo. because I'm confident Bingo, in this it. in this yeah. this shot. Now, so you're saying people on the internet need to just think about things a little more. Yeah, they what they need to do they, before they start doing this, they need to start doing this. Yeah, and, that, yes. and that's yeah. that's the problem. Yeah. Is that they, this is the answer? I, exactly, I was trying to tap so, into. This yeah. is great. Yeah. Well, and, and for whatever for it's that. worth, that, that was great. So I've hunted deer for 25 years. I've filmed a quite a few of the guys shoot deer. I've been on a lot of situations. 100. percent this is no bullshit. Every deer I've ever seen lost, except for one, which was a shot from me before I ever filmed, mm-hmm. has been a broadside angle. So how perfect is it? Well, yeah, every deer I've ever seen lost has been a broadside shot. I've never seen one lost yet head on. Not saying it can't happen. Stuff happens, right? Mm-hmm. Like I had a situation where I almost lost one. 
and it was more head-on, slightly quartering, but it was an error on my part, but I did get the deer. All I'm saying is that's in 25 years of hunting, that, and that's even throwing in some terrible broadheads, mm-hmm. what I would consider terrible t- today yeah. compared to what I shoot. But it's like you read the magazines in the late 90s, early 2000s. It was all catered to shitty broadheads, basically. So well, perfect broadhead was, was, was became the thing. A lot of that, I think, is catered to people having less than the great, most marketing money well less than great equipment <laughs> and people who aren't as familiar with your equipment and people who aren't don't have the most hunting skill i think is probably where a lot of that like ethical debate of broadside only you know that i think that's where that got but, ingrained yeah. into our heads now I, I want you to talk about those stat reports from the like 50s or something where Animals lost because right. there's some stats you so, got on that. And before that, and I'll get to that. But one of the things that became difficult for us on the manufacturing side mm-hmm. is this all started in Oregon for us with elk guys, uh, and they were shooting heavy arrows, high poundage, and this would have been ten years ago. And, pull, pull that mic towards you, just sure. A little bit. And this would have been about ten years ago. So guys were sending me lots of reports of broadheads sticking out hammies. You know, shooting 900 grain, 750 to 900 grain arrows at elk frontal sticking out the back and, and, you know, calling me up and like, this changes everything. This is the greatest thing ever. You need to tell everybody about this. Yeah. And it was the initial reaction was, are you freaking nuts? Like, like I can't like, do that because of the industry. I'm a manufacturer. Right. I can't preach frontal. That's goes again. And it goes against a lot of what I grew oh, up with and point. how I learned. Yeah. yeah. So this was what happened for us is guys kept doing it. And I kept reading the reports and I kept looking at the pictures and I kept looking and they kept the one that caught my eye was guys kept saying the same thing. And you mentioned um, the guys on hunting public. I'm like, everybody born and raised, born born and raised. And that was, uh, I've never seen anything die this fast. I went in from the quickest kill I ever have is exactly that. 11 seconds dead on the ground. I had one gentleman that he said, you know, I figured that I killed that bull seven or eight times. I'm like, what are you talking about? Seven or eight times. And he's like, well, I followed the path of the arrow. I came in, I nicked the trachea and the aorta or the uh, femoral artery. Yeah. Right. So I hit the aorta. Yeah. So if you hit that, I missed the heart. But I cut everything off the top of it, so it's pumping into into empty space. One lung diaphragm, and for me, diaphragm is a huge shot for me. That's that's my biggest one. You touch their diaphragm, they're dead. They can't expand. They can't breathe. They're going to pass out. Oh yeah. So it hits the diaphragm and comes about two inches. The broadhead sticking about eight inches uh, out, two inches under his testicle, out of, out of one side. Hit that last artery on the inside of that thigh. And he said the first thing I hit him, and he buckled and he turned. And the first thing I saw was you know white. He was in. in uh, Colorado, mm-hmm. white aspen trees. He just painted them, you know, for the front. And so, and I'm like, okay. And I get how you killed them seven, eight right, times. Yeah, yeah, right. Right. Counted, you know, how <laughs> many cool times any one it. of those. Right. And so I was like, okay, so maybe there's more to this. And really our thinking when we were designing and manufacturing equipment, not only for ourselves, but for other people was going to be margin of error. Mm-hmm. And, I wanted to be able to broadside shoot because I was pretty much a broadside shooter at the time. Yeah. I wanted to be able to broadside shoot animals. And if I hit the shoulder, I was going to be okay. That was the line of thinking. And then. Which is still okay. Think that's great. Right. thinking too. So, you know, so like, that, and that's where it came from. And then guys were doing all this other stuff that I had never thought of. Um, for me, the first time that I did it, that I made a logical decision that I'm going to try to take an animal frontal. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing. It was a moose. Hot damn, 20 seconds he's on the ground. 
And I was like, wow. Um, I tell people it was interesting for me. The second time I did it was harder than the first. I was sitting there getting ready to shoot. And I'm like, there's no way this is going to work. Like this goes, I make the stuff, right? I mean, yeah. I, I, I'm like, I'm like, this is, just seems nuts to me. And yeah. now this, the, second you know, time. the second time was harder than the first. Right. And I'd seen it myself, you know, and I was like, yeah. wow, I don't know, you know, really zapped him, you know, the, the, that one didn't come out the back. It came out behind the ribs, you know, and sticking out, you know, 10 inches out the backside of his ribs, you know, and they go 25, 25 seconds, 25 yards, and boom, you know, and just like, yeah. wow. Okay. I want to do that more. Yeah. I don't yeah. know what that is, but I like that. I want to do more like of that. It. I like it a lot. <laughs> Right. And that uh, sounds good. I'll have that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Give so me that. For, subscribe. Because <laughs> for, for me, and, and a lot of the philosophy, and Jared and I talked about this a lot. For me, a lot of the philosophy came when I was younger. Hunting for me, especially bigger animals, there was a ton of anxiety. I was more worried about wounding and losing an animal yeah. than I was of trying course. to kill Hate an animal. Hate it. Hate it. I can't stand it. Yeah. So I was mm-hmm. very Fuck, fearful. We just got off that whole thing with the giraffe. <laughs> well, and, yeah, it, trust it, me. Yeah, right. So, it, and it is. And big I mean, animals it, will take a toll on you. Oh, it, you know, and you're like, can I do this? You know, can yeah. I actually, and this, you know, when you actually see how big they are. Right. Oh, it, it, like, can I really do that? I mean, it's a huge animal. 4,200 pounds or something, right, Eric? <laughs> yeah. It's huge. So, Eric oh, yeah. killed that. I'm like, you just killed that one for me. I'll never kill a giraffe because I just <laughs> was a part of it. Well, and that's the biggest thing because the thing was, like, I didn't have heavy enough arrows. He's like, we can't shoot a giraffe with your arrows. You shoot in frontal? He knew it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shot shot frontal, frontal. Yeah, the guy, the guy knew it right oh, away. Yeah, their yeah. skin's like this thick. Inch a high. Inch a high. Inch and a quarter when they cut it open. Yeah. But, um, but luckily, a guy there had full-length arrows. Austin had uh, heavy moose arrows. Set yeah. Up. So yeah, that's and that's what you, I mean. That's what you need in those big guys. <clears throat> yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was a part that changed for me. The other part is the gentleman that was doing that at the time and shooting frontal. Um, I'm not a super accomplished rifle hunter, but I've been around guns my whole life, and mm-hmm. he really broke it down. And I do it a lot with customers. Is I'll start breaking it down ethically what you can do with a rifle. And I said, so if we were hunting, let's just do elk. Or we could do white tails, but let's do elk. Let's do elk bigger. Right, let's do elk. So middle you come now. with me and I'm guiding you and we're hunting together and you have a 22 250, mm-hmm. right? I'm going to wait till the wind is completely calm. I want him dead broadside. I want you to tuck it in the pocket. You're right. You got to make a good shot, right? We're going to do this versus. And I can kill him. And you can, yeah. absolutely, you can kill him. Absolutely. Versus if we're sitting together and you have a 338 and a 250 solid in it. I'm like, I want you to rake him. I want you to break as many bones in him as you can. And I don't want him to move again. It's mm-hmm. just a, so ethically with the correct equipment, what I learned in rifle hunting, you can do things much differently than you can with, with, with light equipment. So that goes yeah. back to like, okay, broadside made sense for a lot of the equipment or that was is it, available. Because back in the nineties, like you didn't have the online, or kids, right? Oh. You didn't have direct. So, so you'd go into you know? dealers and they carried your, your, Normal stuff, and they're carrying better equipment now. Yeah, they 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 are. There's been a trend that direction. Well, because of but things back like in the nineties, right all you knew was like muzzies and thunderheads and right. light arrows, and I I did that. I shot thirty five fifty fives out of seventy five pound Matthews Black Patch, which was get, like the yeah. speed monster of the day. Yeah. And it's like I made it work. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like I I, w- I I did. You know, I I mean, well, think about this, Scheffler. Like, but I, we were, but we with broadhead design back then, I, I knew I was shooting light, so I. That's I already told you. I started out with like Magnus back then. I didn't start out then, but I shifted very quickly to that style ahead because I'm shooting a super light arrow. It's like, well, I need some penetration, right? You know, so what's going to be the most aerodynamic in that particular case? Well, think about this. Obviously, when we're I had kids some, going to like archery, yeah. archery shoots, outdoor 3ds. What is every animal set up as? 
broadside. Broadside. Yeah. So it's programmed Except in the our brown, head. the black bear. The, bro- the black bear standing up and standing, right? Yeah. Standing yeah. Right? Yeah. Or, if, or if you go to like some other ones, yeah. they have like a, a Yeti or something yeah, yeah, like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. But think about it. It's programmed in our heads since we can walk and shoot a boat. Now, that's where that ethics can come in because as a 12-year-old shooting a old Fred Bear bow that went about 115 feet per second with my really light arrow, I needed to take that perfect broadside shot. Yep. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. So that's. I think that's what it a lot of people makes struggle sense with. Is with that it's type in, of equipment? It's ingrained in our heads right. since we were this big, and we don't really develop and evolved out of that. Right. And that's For where sure. people come right. out with that ethics. Yep. Like, like 100%. I'll yeah. get exactly. And to back that up, like somebody shooting a fifty-pound, say even a compound, fifty-pound compound, they're shooting a light arrow with an expandable. Do I want them taking a front-on shot? No. 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 no, no, no hell no. no. Right. Hell no. Right. You're right. out of your mind. Yeah. You're out of your mind. Like. Uh well you throw a one blade head on the front of that yeah just just make sure you got it you, you better You're be right a, in there. like yeah 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 like okay you know but that's that level of like it's all relative like what's your draw length how much poundage right you know how heavy is your arrow how much foc what's your broadhead design that's huge you know okay now that becomes the ultimate bow shot the angle like yeah. it becomes the most ethical shot. You know, but exactly getting back to your point, like in the '90s, you read all these articles and da 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 da, and yeah, it was just you know, ingrained in well, you that, know when the really that, fast that is, came out? That, that is, was cool. That is that, that is, fast bowl is that cool. is the right yeah. thinking with the a lot of that equipment. Yep. Yeah. No doubt. Right. About it. For sure. It's the ethical thinking. That's right. what it's the ethical it's, thinking yeah, for that amount a, of equipment. That, that's how it got there. Yeah. No, no, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So but, they weren't but, wrong. But I want to get back, Garrett. What you were saying is like. Doing the rifle bow comparison, like, you know, with a big caliber, take out all that shit. Yeah. The bones and everything. Yeah. He's not walking. Yeah. And versus, you know, a light bullet, 22, 250. Right. Going really fast, right? 4,000 feet per second. Just hit him in the heart. Don't touch any bone. That's get, it. Get between the ribs. You can kill him. No problem. And you're hoping right? for a lot of cavitation because that's speed. Right, right. Yeah. So that's, and that's where it's just a different philosophy for guys who want to hunt. And, a lot of times I'll get kicked back and they're like, are you saying that I can't kill stuff with a slow arrow? And I'm like, absolutely not. And I always tell guys, whatever's working for you, if it's working, keep, keep doing, doing it. Keep like, doing it. Whatever, yeah. I'm not, I'm like, but if it's not working for you, take a look at this. Try, right. you know, whatever that is. And because everybody hunts differently, hunt, different hunting situations, where they hunt in the country or in the world, right. you know, situations that they find themselves in. Mm-hmm. So it really depends on matching that with the hunter. Mm-hmm. What we found is... Over those years of all those guys going to Africa and shooting all that big stuff, then they'd come back and they're like, yeah, going for brown bear, going for moose, I'm going for elk. What what else you got? You know, what else can, I don't want to necessarily be that heavy, but what else? Yeah. I want to, I want to shoot through. Can I ask a question on that? So like, that's the thing that I I think about too, is just think about the, the heaviness of that arrow and that. You know, FOC or front of center mm-hmm. heaviness. The distance that you get, obviously, you're going to start having point dip, right? Mm-hmm. So, do you usually ask a guy when you're going to set him up with an arrow setup, like, what are you comfortable in shooting for your distance? First question. It's a great question. First question. So, if a guy comes to me originally, job, buddy. yeah, good, good. Is it, yeah. I usually start out with what's your lethal distance? And that means what will you shoot at a live animal on your first shot? What's your maximum distance? And then the next question I'll ask him is, what's your what's your practice distance? That's completely different than your hunting distance. Yeah, right? I, yeah sure. practice yeah. at 80, I shoot to 30. Mm-hmm. I would say for most of our customers, especially for whitetails, the average distance is 30 to 40. Mm-hmm. Most guys won't shoot over 40 yards. So my next thing is, okay, so then let's take your lethal distance, and then I want to build you an arrow that's as heavy as possible 
but here's the, always the key with as much weight as possible in the front. People always think that I like light, I, I like heavy arrows. I don't. I like really light arrows, and I want to hang up, put a boat anchor on the front of it, right? <laughs> so okay. that's, put some lead out there. And, and so, and I'll go through this. this kind of goes into rifles too. So, um, so first question is, what's your lethal distance? What do you practice at? And then I said, I would like to make you an arrow that I want you to shoot at that lethal distance, but it has to do two things perfectly for you. Number one, it has to fly perfectly for you out of your bow. And number two, and no one can judge that but you, is you have to like that trajectory at your lethal distance. Oh, okay. If you I think like you're that. lobbing it too much, then we're going to start backing down the weight. Or if it's not flying perfectly, we'll tune that arrow so it's coming out of your bow perfectly. Mm -hmm. And then what I tell guys is what it's done for me, back to the anxiety part of this, especially for whitetail guys hunting out of tree stands. You know, you see a buck and he walks in your circle. You don't have to wait. I can attack you. You tell me where his lungs are. I can yeah. attack you at any angle at any time. Mm. So now it opens up my shot, my ethical shot opportunities. I've had, you know, lots of guys over the years that, yeah, I've <laughs> back to, had lots of guys that, you know, I've been targeting a buck for two years, three years. In three years, I had 17 seconds with him inside bow range and he wasn't broadside, you know? And they're like, like, I need something cause I got, I, I got to kill this buck. Right. And I'm like, I can't wait hopefully that one of these days he'll be broadside. So I'm like, well, I can help you with that. You know, I can get you to, so, and for us, our, our biggest thing is always, I have a big, I want two holes. I want you to, I want the arrow to completely pass through if I can. Penetration first. Uh, first. Um, that's the right. most important thing. When you make two holes. You don't it, have to hit the lungs. If your broadhead is good, like, okay, let's take a front on. You cut 50 inches of material and that broadhead don't feel it. You're killing them. You're I'm hit, still thinking that, about that, that. that. What you said, I killed them seven, eight times. Yeah, you're yeah. cutting so much stuff in there, you, and you don't it's even know what you're cutting. You're just you're going through the goodie bag. Right? I can't get out of my head. You said attack them at any angle. Mm -hmm. So that I goes back that. to like we talked about this actually yesterday. What I learned with hunting these deer on the ground is every animal has a defense mechanism. Mm -hmm. Like a bear might fight you. Like what the hell is that? I'm coming at you. A whitetail, which is the space I live in, their re their defense is flight. Right, mm -hmm. like the, the reaction. That's yeah. why I yeah, left. Sympathetic response. That's why I I shoot the bow the way I do. That's why I switched to a longbow for intense battle situations. Now this, what Garrett was talking about over here, where I can't. This animal, I need the broadside, right? So setting yourself up to where you can kill it at any angle and be really deadly with your equipment. It gives you a lot of options. Yeah, so, it does. For another thing that you touched on, and you said, you know, guys think that they can just go out and fling arrows and kill stuff. That goes against me, my personal ethics. Like, I, yeah. you got to go practice with a bow and be proficient and do all those things. What I'm talking about is now guys making judgment calls in hunting situations where, like, I'm going to break your front shoulders. I'm going to break your leg on purpose, mm. right? And and it's a much different thought process than I'm trying not to creep that shoulder and I hope I don't hit him too far back, right? You know, yeah. that, you know that, yeah, that right, game right. that we've played, right? right. For sure. Well, and, and, and talking about, so one, one other, we talk about FOC and heavy arrow weight. So for, what, three years, I've carried two different weights in my quiver. On the ground, quite often, and you can watch this in video footage, you're not going out there with your pre-cut lanes, for like a normal tree stand set on private ground, you got your pre-cut lanes, you know your distances, da-da-da-da-da. You're, you're going in spotting and stalking these animals. Sometimes you've got to shoot through grass. Like, right. I don't even see the cavity of the deer right now. I know he's there. He's got my ass pegged. I want a setup that's going to zip right through there. Well, I've learned, like, 
with what I shoot and what now all my guys are shooting over the last few years, they've all shifted. It's like, I ain't worried about it. If I'm shooting through just solid grass and I can't see the cat, that everything we're shooting is going to zip right through there. And the more FOC and the, the, the heavier the arrow, and I picked this up on a video that Garrett had of a guy that was shooting a Cape Buffalo. This was seven years ago when I came across the video. And he actually told me about it yesterday. I was like, nobody ever said this, but I caught it in there. <laughs> This arrow hit a stick that looked like it was as thick as my thumb, and then the, the arrow never moved, and the stick just got the hell out of the way, and the arrow went 20 more yards and <laughs> poof, smoked that Cape Buffalo. And I was like, wow, that's what I need for some situations on the ground with these whitetails is i got to be able to punch through shit, or the stick I'd twig I don't see that right, I didn't yeah. see. There's always one you and don't I, see that's a problem. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and my arrow hits that, that's another reason. So I carry two weights in my quiver. I don't need an 860-grain arrow for a whitetail, not with the poundage and everything that I'm shooting and all the other factors and broadhead design, all that. I carry a 650 and an 860 right now. That's, that's going to be shifting to some other things, but that's what I've ran for three years. <laughs> yeah. My 860, I'm pulling out for inside of 20 because it don't matter. Other than if I need to blow through shit right. uh, in route. If there's so something that's another, in the way. I just wanted to get that out there. It came to me like... You know, we talk about arrow weight, FOC, I think there's going to be a all this, two, just three, for four, penetration five, on the animal, but that's podcast. another. <laughs> the other thing that we're really missing here is the importance of the sharpness of your broadhead, too. Yeah. Like, that is so crucial in this. You can have as much FOC and weight in front of you, Jared, as you want, but if you have no cutting capabilities, it doesn't matter. Or it mang- falls apart too quick. Exactly. Yeah. Like, so, you know, you shoot, like, um three to one broadhead or something like that or whatever you know broadheads you shoot or one to one and a half whatever you you're shooting the cutability of that broadhead and the sharpness and the durability of that that metal is what matters the most mm-hmm. if you don't have a good broadhead on it doesn't matter if you shoot the most perfect arrow setup it ain't gonna do shit i had one of my favorite jokes when we would do sci and dallas safari club you'd have guys come in and gonna drink your drink the, right. you have guys come in and they'll be like uh man your broadheads are expensive and i oh. look at them i'm like you have $3,000 in Sitka gear on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah, and, and, and I'm like, and, 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 I got the Sitka gator, not gator, but yeah, I don't want to spend yeah, $30 well, on a product. Well, right. And, yeah. But then I look at it and I'm like, if that piece of equipment fails, nothing else matters. That, Literally, right. no, I feel like your that's boat doesn't matter. You're talking a lot, enough about with these yeah. arrows is everyone's like, wait, 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 yeah. wait, wait, wait. And it's now. It's, no, one no small part. It's one dude. very small part of it. It's such a good point. And one year at SCI convention, about... the dude's probably in a suit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. he just he just bought a three hundred thousand dollars sheet yeah, tag. Explore, I'd rather spend more money on the broadhead than yes. the freaking jacket right. I have on. Right. Well, exactly. that's what's gonna so, be, that's what kills, kills my animals. Kill right. That's a, right. Right. So, so your broadheads are designed for big ass animals and just or this confidence well, that Jared's talking so, about. You know, and he gets thrown around a lot too now. So. um you know, very early on in my career in this, when I took over the company from my, my father, um, I started reading Ashby. Mm-hmm. And Ashby just made all the sense in the world to me. And I get that some people don't agree with everything that he says, or, but I literally uprooted my entire life mm-hmm. based on those reports. So I, yeah. my previous life, I was the director of marketing at Ducks Unlimited. No I, had, I had a pretty decent job. My wife was an executive at, at, at Alsec St. Jude. So we had a very comfortable li- lifestyle. Yeah. And it was like, I'm going to quit this and I'm going to sell the farm and we are going to make broadheads. Only we don't make broadheads. 
yeah. and I'm going to follow yeah. this because I, and I literally took that leap mm-hmm. on base what that was and, and really follow that. So over the years we've learned ourselves and from customer feedback on what works and what doesn't, right. but he had those 12 main points. Number mm-hmm. one, structural integrity. Mm-hmm. So that's always, the, you know, guys will talk about 650 and I'm like 650 is number 12 on the list of 12 things. Okay. It only matters if you hit a heavy bone. Mm-hmm. And when we're talking about whitetails, even then with enough FOC, and enough, and by the way, I definitely want to touch base on FOC because yeah. uh, guys ask a lot of questions and what does it mean and what does it really give you? Um, yeah, we'll get into that for sure. So, um, but I think for what, what was I telling you a lot about? You're, you're talking about the, the broadheads, the different the 12 points. Yeah, the 12 points. So, so 650 really comes into a lower standard. It's all the way down at 12, and it only matters if we hit heavy bone. There's a lot of other things that we need much higher on that list. Structural integrity, perfect arrow flight. We don't want to waste any energy mm-hmm. while that arrow is going through the air. We want all that energy at impact. Mm-hmm. Um, so we start following those rules. So for us, starting out fresh with broadheads and already making tapered arrows, everything was pretty in line, and we were already shooting trads. So the heavy didn't scare us. We started really going down that path of trying to build equipment based on his research. Mm -hmm. And that's those slowly got built up over time. Uh, In about what, 2008, 2009, we were at that time the only U.S. distributor for uh, German Kinetic Silver Flames. Mm -hmm. Which is how I found his company. Actually, that's the broadhead that I wanted and I couldn't get my hands on it. Nobody could could get them. And and so when I started out with a longbow, that's the head I wanted to get, and I could not get my hands on it. Like I did a bunch of research and online, you guys the found ones that them. had it. No. We were the U.S. distributor, so it was oh. it was so. two years later. I kept researching, and the broadhead I used it didn't fail, but that's the one when I switched to a longbow I wanted. Right, yeah. and so then I I re did some research, and then you guys that's picked big. them up in that time, and that's how I found you guys. So the big knock on those at the time is nobody could get them. Mm-hmm. Right. And they were amazing. They were an urban myth. Including almost. me. They were basically an urban <laughs> myth. And that's one of the things on the business side that really kind of opened up my eyes. We would get shipments in and, you know, we'd get calls from different individuals and they'd be like, hey, what, you know, you have them in stock. Yeah. What do you got? You know, I didn't like. Why could no one get them at the time? What was the deal? So the gentleman that was building them in Germany was a professor at a university um, and he was building them in his part time. Oh, just the, the just demand to the demand sub- and he couldn't keep up with it. And yeah. he actually started to hate it. You know, it was just, it took over everything. And he's like, I just want to hunt, you know? And I'm like, I get that too. Yeah, yeah. And when we ended up, what we ended up purchasing from him, and it was a mistake that I made at the time. He offered us German kinetic silver flames. We called them silver flames internally. We didn't buy the German kinetic name. Probably should have. But more importantly, what he gave us at the time was the formula. It's like the formula for Coke on how to take that steel how to get it that sharp mm-hmm. and how to get that powder and how to get it. And right. yeah, I was just going with it <laughs> and, re- <laughs> and, re- and resharpen it and all those kinds of okay. things. So, okay. And he really had that formula down. And that was the thing that made almost that urban myth when people couldn't get them is everybody was heard about it. these things are unbelievably sharp out of the pack. And they're so sharp that when you feel them on your, like on your thumb, they feel dull, they feel soft and it's cause they're all buffed. So they're mm. so sharp that they actually feel – you don't feel an edge on them. You don't feel anything. But to cut you open. That's, they slice you open. So um, 
that was the first step. And then we took that at the time and developed a whole series of single bubbles based. Now, once we had the formula for Coca-Cola, once we had the formula on how to, how we were going to build that steel. Yeah. Then you're just going with, then it. we were just kind of, and we always wanted to make single bubbles anyway. That mm-hmm. was, so and that's that, where like the samurai and Ashby had, that's where right. all that, those lines came from for mm-hmm. us. How heavy is a head? A head is that? So the Ashby is a forged one piece. So it's, it's struck with a hammer. It's 440 C. And then we mill and machine it down from that one piece, heat treat it. So it weighs 315 grains. Um, no fucking oh, shit. shit. Yeah. That's what I've shot my last two deer with. 350? 15. 15. Actually, so yeah. the, we'll have a new one. So we redesigned it. This will be the first year after it, it launched in 2007. Fixed the two or three of the major problems that we saw. You know, I don't know if the consumer, things that we wanted to clear up that yeah. we missed on the first time. Right. Um, and it'll be 350. Actually, we'll have a 350, a 200, a 150, and a 125. In that wow. Area. In that design. In that design. So can someone... And that, which is a separate design from the Silver Flame design. Is a double. Is a double belt. That's double right. right. What's, that's what, um, for listeners, yeah. and just for sake of conversation, yeah. what's the difference between single and double bevel? So... Double and single. So double bevel is what most people are familiar with, right? It's a blade that's sharpened on both sides like a knife, like a normal, mm-hmm. like a knife. So that's any double bevel that can mean in any format too, right? Two blade, three blade, four blade, double sharpened on both sides. Single bevels always almost come as a two, two, two blade, one blade. I call it a one blade. It's, you know, it's, it's, so, but, I know what it is. It's one piece of metal. Two sounded better on the packaging. Yeah. Two is better, right? Yeah. Two yeah. is okay. more, right? Makes but it's sense. really one blade. It's one plane going through. It's one plane that the arrow when it's bending, it's fighting with versus three or four or yeah, on a four blade, it'd be two. So it's actually less than a three blade. Right. You got two planes that the arrow's bending and flexing it yeah. against. And then on impact, same thing. A four blade is proven to penetrate slightly better than a three blade. Obviously, physics wise, it's not going to do as well as a one blade. Because of the plane. Drag and drag. Exactly. Yeah, it's drag. And soft t- That's one of the things I always clarify is guys like, I blow through deer all the time. I'm like, that's soft tissue. That's soft tissue is different. Every deal. time right. we're talking right. about this is not only bone hit, yeah. but heavy bone hits. What happens on a head? So the difference, the big difference between a single bevel and a double is the pressure on that blade at impact. Mm-hmm. So a double bevel is sharpened on both sides. So when that... When that blade enters an animal, it has equal pressure on both sides. It stays relatively straight as it goes through that animal. That channel stays very straight. Okay. Uh, if you hit a bone, right, you encounter bone and the blade doesn't fail and you have enough weight in the arrow to, to defeat that bone. So if we hit a bone, right, one, one's going to win or the other, right? The arrow yeah. brought it are going to win or the bone's going to win. Mm-hmm. So if we're going to defeat that bone at impacts, that double bevel, because it's sharpened on both sides, when it hits that bone, it has to cut the bone. Yeah. You, you cut the bone basically in half or nick it or whatever you, wherever you hit. So yep. you're cutting bone. Okay. Single bevels are same exact same shape blades, except they're only sharpened on one side. Okay. And then if you flip it over, it's sharpened on that same side. It looks like a sushi knife, like a Japanese sushi knife. It's only sharpened on one side. It's flat on the back. Mm-hmm. Those on impact when they hit. As soon as they hit anything and get any resistance, they have to start to twist because it has unequal pressure on that blade. Mm. So it pops the bone. So it has to it has to twist as it comes in. So as soon as you make anything, if you make contact with anything hard, it starts to twist very violently. So instead of trying to hit a bone and cut it with a double bevel, with a single bevel, you hit it and the blade will actually twist and it'll break the bone. You'll snap it. And it takes a lot less energy to snap that bone and keep going than it, it does, does to, to cut the bone and keep going. Yeah. Wow. 
That's, that's crazy. A, that's I've great. never had that broken down to me like that. Yeah, that yeah, no, awesome. that was a really good breakdown. But he breaks it down, it makes sense. It, it makes does. Perfect. Yeah. It totally yeah. does. Yeah. 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 So that's that's one big advantage. Hmm. But it only <laughs> it, <laughs> it only matters when you're hitting it bone. It only matters when you hit bone. That's yeah. the first thing. Right. And the second thing is you have to have enough FOC in that arrow to be able to drive ahead to get it to do that. So what's a what's and the first number that I want to do something? And there's also like hold on, hold on. Hey, hey. What's FOC? FOC, forward to center. So forward to center, and that's how much weight you have in Sorry, your arrow. Sorry, boys. I wanted to get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get that so FOC is how much weight do you have in the front of your arrow compared to the back of your arrow? How okay. much more? Why is that good? Is there a percentage like, that everybody say, wants? Why is that good? <laughs> <laughs> I <hear a> percentage. <laughs> good. So Ashby, through his research, what he found, and this is where guys on the TikTok crew. Yes. That they, We're I'm talking like, to you're, you. You're literally yeah. talking at your ass, right? You, you say, here's the difference. Um it, that arrow has to have enough weight in FOC. So in Ashby's research, he found that an arrow of 650 grains with structural integrity and structural integrity in a single bevel broadhead and a minimum of 19% forward to center. So you have 19% more weight in the front of the arrow than you do in the back. Okay. Once you do that, he couldn't find a bone on a Cape Buffalo or an Asiatic Buffalo. He was shooting a 40 pound longbow testing. That yeah, I was going to say he's a longbow guy. He couldn't, yeah. he couldn't breathe. Well, he did a lot of testing with compound too, but he couldn't, he, on any of those Buffalo, and why Buffalo were so great to test is their ribs overlap. So you're going to hit a heavy bone going in, no matter what. You can't mm-hmm. miss it. Mm-hmm. So he could hit, he could do, and all he was counting was for bone strikes. And so I think what, at one point with that 40 pound bow, I think he had 600 or 700 continuous shots and every single one of them breached. So he's breaking ribs and getting, you know, usually hitting the offside ribs. The reason he had to go down to a 40 pound bow when he was shooting with a 70 pound compound, the broadheads were sticking out the offside. And so what are we measuring now? He had to leave the broadhead inside the chest cavity to measure the difference. And in order to do that, he had to reduce the weight low enough to be able to see how how that worked. So that's the first thing on FOC. The second one is the higher you can get it with trade-off and perfect arrow flight, the more that arrow is going to penetrate. Back to one of the examples I like to give guys on our 650 builds. Um, We like to talk about what we call a slug weight or bullet weight of the arrow. And what that's going to be is we're going to measure the broadhead, the insert, and any brass footing we put behind that. Behind the insert? Behind the insert. So the arrows that Victory build us are actually fairly light. Mm-hmm. So on those, I, I like that though, mm-hmm. but they're really you build st- the weight they want, right? and they're really and they're stiff. stiff. They're yeah. really stiff, yeah. and, they're, and they're damn near indestructible. Mm-hmm. And, and so structural integrity for us very high. Yeah. So um, what we were doing is is looking at what this slug is and what that means in relation to FOC. So what we what fa- this slug is? I yeah, just yeah, love yeah, 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 I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a T-shirt. So, yeah, yeah. So what slug are you shooting? What slug are you shooting? What's your slug weight? Yeah. So hey, it's, lady. it's rifle. Right. So and just like in rifles, the bigger the slug, the easier it is to penetrate. Mm-hmm. Doesn't take the same trajectory. Doesn't do all the, but it will increase in penetration. Oh right? shit! I'm not going to take my 338 because it's now 4,000 feet per second. Right. You know, and that's yeah, the same right. kind of you thing. Know. Right. <laughs> You ask a pH in Africa, what's the, you know, what's the, what's the barrel speed on your 500 nitro? You know, they'll laugh at you. They don't know. They, they don't know. care. They don't give up. They don't care. <laughs> they, well, they, don't, they don't care. I know when I pull the trigger, whatever stands in front of me will go down. Yeah. It right. doesn't matter. I don't care what, how fast it's going. Right. So in a 650 grain build, so guys say, wow, that sounds really heavy. I'm like, yes and no. In a 650 grain build for us, that's going to be about a 300 grain arrow, depending on length. 
that means we're going to add a 350 grain slug in the front. So for most guys hunting whitetails, if you're shooting a 100 grain head with a 12 grain aluminum insert, you're shooting a 120 grain bullet, 112 mm-hmm. grain bullet mm-hmm. at whitetails. I'll build you a bullet that's 350 grains. And I, that's what I try to tell guys. That's what you're shooting at the animal is that slug. The arrow is guidance and steering for that slug. I, I love that broke down like that. I've actually never heard that broke down quite like that, but that's so real Real quick while we're on FOC, like how do you calculate the FOC? Like you were saying 19%. Right. Like can you break that down quick? So there's calculators on the internet. Right. But so what you do, what you're measuring is the balance point of that arrow. So then you're taking that calculation and you plug it into a formula. I can't, off the top of my head, I don't know exactly what it is. But it's telling you how much more weight you have in the front versus the rest of the arrow shot. So 19 or higher, again, that was what he found for breaching. And guys are like, well, then you said that you have to be 19. I said, I didn't say anything. I said, what we follow, we want them as high as we can get with perfect arrow flight. And you like the trajectory. If it's over 19, most of our arrows for a standard whitetail guy on a 650 build, he's shooting 29-inch arrows. That arrow is going to have somewhere around a 25 to 26% forward to center. So, I mean, comparative to a parallel, right? That's, and here's another part of it our apers, our arrows are tapered. So, built in automatically, there's more weight in the front than there is in the back. And it's a stiffer arrow up front, then. And that's really important on impact because it's tapered. Because it's stiffer up front, right. that moves the flex of the arrow closer to the knock. So, on impact, it doesn't have as much likelihood of diversion because it's a straighter. The flex don't happen as close to the point. And all right. that weight. I mean, that's a micro. Back. That's that's not like a. All of these things that we're talking yeah. about. It's like you put them all together, and it's like, for instance, like, you know, like Tanner. He's got a short draw. I need some trajectory. So did I set him up with six fifty? No, I set him up lighter than that. But I followed everything else. It's yeah. like, I'm going to give up a little bit over here so you got some trajectory, but I'm going to follow all this other stuff. Right. I'm going to shoot a stiff arrow. I'm gonna, I set him up with a 240 cut at 26 inches out of a 70-pound compound. Most people think I'm nuts. Well, guess what? It'll paper tune a bullet hole without fletchings at three yards, five yards, whatever. Put a 125-grain point weight on. Put a 200 on. They'll bullet holes both times. 315, it'll be a little bit point low, but there's no tail fletchings. You put right. tail fletchings on it, it's going to be up. pretty damn near. you know. But now, like he just shot a white, this is a white tail. So this is the cool thing is I'm in over in the, here in these little deer land, right? right? <laughs> little deer he, land. <laughs> Garrett's over here dealing with all this big shit. Moose and grizzlies but, and all the cool stuff. You know, I mean, Tanner just shot one at 54 yards and the deer was igniting. Again, a high reaction deer that you couldn't. He might drop two inches. This deer, tur- he was already turning by the time the arrow got him. He hit him low shoulder, dropped him in his tracks right there. Rolled him. That, that arrow only weighed 503, but it was stiff as shit. See, an arrow is a spring. When the bow transfers that energy at release to the arrow, the arrow becomes a spring. Mm-hmm. So picture if the arrow was a coil spring. It's not a coil spring. All that spring, so the bend of the arrow, the flex of the arrow, is giving up energy mm-hmm. that it can't absorb from the bow. It's dissipating it. Then throughout flight, it's flexing more throughout flight. And then on impact, on impact, it flexes again to a certain degree. So the stiffer arrow you shoot, the more energy you're absorbing from the bow, and you're also reducing energy loss throughout the flight. And then Mm -hmm. again on impact, obviously soft tissue, which Garrett brought up, soft tissue, no big deal. Heavy bone, I don't want that arrow to hardly bend at all. I want it to drive. Like take an axe and... 
get it, get it, just build your own because they don't make one, but build an axe handle that is a little bit wimpy and flexes and see how well you drive through a chunk of wood. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a spring. It becomes a spring. So So that's my analogy behind that so like okay let's say you're you're shooting whitetails and you don't want to hit 650 grains well you hit all these other points stiff arrow you know good broadhead design all these other things we talked about taper stiff arrow up front things like that Mm -hmm. you're going to at least you know crush 9 10 12 11 things out of 12 or or whatever can i I ask a question more about broadheads before we move on for sure yeah so like all right, I think everybody at this table at one point in our life probably shot like the four blade muzzy. Oh yeah, that's right. 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 I pulled the one blade out, and made it. A, yeah, I, made I, it a one. We blade were talking about this. Day. Day. I never Wait, shot with I still, I never shot with I still got. Yeah. I, still, yeah. I got a collection. Yeah. So grew up on them. Yeah. So like again, back to being conditioned from when we were younger. Yeah. How many people give you pushback on the fact that you don't have a bleeder on your broadheads? We get it. I love it that you don't. Yeah, I know he does. I, 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 I want to know why. And I want to know like who, you. Who, who that was one thing I loved. You didn't say anything about it. Like we don't make make them. But I was like, well, you, but I you just did, asked the you, question. But you kind of just explained it too with the single bevel, double bevel kind of explanation right. because it's twisted. You did, but the you're animal. talking more bone, right? So like, if we're if even we're, penetration, so penetration bone, right? And if we're hitting soft tissue, yeah. Okay, so this is just yeah. my brain working, all right? We're yeah. just not talking about soft tissue for the rest of the podcast because it's it's easy to get yeah. through soft tissue. Forget about yeah, soft but, tissue. But my thought is, like, so not you every time we're going to hit bone. Sometimes we are going to put that perfect shot on, right? Yeah. For sure. And it's so, still going to so, perform excellent. So, so cool. But here's my yeah, question. Great. Here's my question. Yeah, exactly. I yeah. believe it. Yeah, yeah, I shoot them. But we're all passionate. I love it. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not worried about that. But <laughs> in my mind and in my old uh, muzzy four-blade barn, if I have this much cut, versus this much cut, yeah. I'm going to have a larger yeah. blood trail yeah. hole. More blood. I, exactly. Not, so, not, and that's what... Okay. That's what that's hang not, on, hang on. Yeah. I'm not asking you the question. PR guy is talking. Like, <laughs> I already know the answer to this, but I know this is something that I've had people ask me about their product. Yeah. And I just don't know how to really explain it properly because Ashby is kind of like anti-bleeder. Really hard to quantify Very anti-bleeder. that one. Yeah. Very anti-bleeder. I, I am too. And I have never, I told you earlier this year. But why? I, I actually never read I that. I want to know why. I understand other that. Penetration. Other penetration. Than, so other penetration. Than, other than straight up penetration. Other, exactly. We're anti-bleeder because <laughs> the fucking penetration, everybody. Yeah, that's well, it. That's well, it. And, and, I didn't mean to get everybody all fired up. I but love, no, I did. No, I love no, it. I, I'm glad you brought that up. So... <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, it's really hard to quantify that, but I can tell you this: the best blood trails I've ever seen are on a one blade head, and I've seen, I, I've Why? seen rage hits, I've seen the, everything. What is the physics behind that, though? I shouldn't say I've seen everything. That that's not true. I've seen a lot of things. Okay, just a lot. No, I've seen I've seen great blood trails on some of those other head designs and whatnot too. I've also seen weak blood trails with a one blade head. I've seen weak blood trails with. Th- all heads. Yep. I've seen them both. I can say 100%. The best blood trails I have seen have been a one blood. But it's not every time, just like any head. It's is it not because of your time. penetration? Or is it's not necessarily your cut, it's your penetration? I, that's the part that's, 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 that's I want to know. That's how so I'm, it's the, like, the, I, can, I can only tell you from my experience. This is us arguing that, on a normal yeah, basis. This is 90% of our conversations is us yelling at each other. Every traitor with white children. I know it's in the video from... Nine years ago, even Sh- even Shay back then, he's like, I've never seen a blood trail that big. And I was like, yeah, I haven't either. And it was one blade <laughs> head. It depends on what you hit. 
It really it, yeah. it depends they're, on they're, what you hit. Yeah. Anything Thank can make you, a lot of blood hey, or no blood. It's situational, okay? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. As depends far on as, <laughs> if I'm going to go bigger, it's going to be in the same direction, my personal self. Yeah. I'm going to push that in the same direction. I put. I, I kind of came up with this analogy more recently. Like, if you got an axe, and I I hate it because it's, it's, it's wood, it's not bone, but just physics-wise. If I got an axe head, and it's, say, three inches across... And I want to make one more inch a cut. If I expand that to four inches, it's still going to drive through it pretty easily. If I create a wedge and put it the other direction, a half inch on each side, it's going to create a wedge. It's because it's now got to completely split that bone in multiple different directions. But it's if spreading I spreading out its energy, yes, yeah. yes, all so of my all all the guys now over the, the last scientists. few years have switched yeah. over. Like for <laughs> whitetails, they've Dyer. all switched over to one point five inch cut, one blade head because I can't find anything better. Yeah, and it works. I've seen all kinds of hits that I'm like, shit. I've seen those hits before, and we didn't recover that ear and that thing piled right. And to be well, fair, I've been I shooting mean, Garrett's arrows, arrows before I even knew you before you be, knew me. Yeah. yeah, like so you I guys was, all got me brewing because I don't know. Eric, oh, I'm thinking your brain's gonna be brewing yeah. too. Cause yeah. Mostly, you're like the, the gi- most the giraffe. Yeah, you're oh, an yeah. But We've been shooting Victor arrows for a long time. I well, shoot machinist. Um, <laughs> pretty close. Well, we shoot. What you're shooting? Vap SSs this year. Yep. I'm shooting rip TKOs. I shoot a 75 grain outsir and then 125 grain head. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect for whitetail. So I'm at 400. 180. No, I'm at 485 grains. With 200 up front, your slug's 200. But your slug, exactly. Your slug's 200. So, do I need to go more? Oh, geez, loaded question. I know. That is. (laughs) Well, because everyone in. What's your range? How far do you want to shoot? Everyone listening right now is doing. Exactly what the I math. just did while they're listening. Okay, Kurt, do I need Kurt, to go more? You're, you just picked up the phone. You're calling Garrett. I just listened go. to the Working Class Bow Hunter podcast. Garrett, do I need to go more? No. Okay. Why? And why not? Ta- are we talking like, about whitetail? Well, what kind of animal well, are we talking it, it, about? It, it, well, and well, I let's do this say, hypothetical phone call. I feel like I need to go more after hearing your well, conversation. Then I would tell them to go more. But that's what I don't ever try to push anybody into right. how you're going to do that or why you're going to do that. I always... How we sell all this stuff is question based. I just ask you a bunch of questions and then I kind of fill in the blanks from there. How do you hunt? You got what a do you formula. Hunt? Right. We've been doing it for a while. And right. so, you know, we've got that formula down, right? And usually yeah. we we can walk guys down a path and explain to them this is, you know, what do you want to do? And normally it'll come, man, I am the king of like the high school breakup. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I get the I get the call, you know. I lost a 180 and I can't sleep, and you know, and I'm like, yeah. it sounds like a high school breakup. You yeah, know, that's yeah, you, know, yeah, you know, they're miserable. <laughs> I never you know? thought about that. <laughs> and so I'm like, yeah. yeah. And usually they come to you for a reason. R.I.P. Doug. They come to they usually come to us in the whitetail world at least before in the last two years it's changed a little differently. Yeah. But before they came to us out of pain. It was straight out of pain. I did this. I lost this. A I realization of change. I don't want to ever. I don't know if you're the answer, but I. I need to do something different because what I just did broke my heart. You're the rebound. <laughs> I'm the yeah. rebound girl. <laughs> You're the rebound. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, like rebound. Shit. That's me. Yeah, that's, it's, uh, but like that. that really kind of kicked in for guys, depending on back to the situation. So what's enough? I'm like, what we do know is 650. If breaching any bone at any angle is important to you, if you hit that number, it will do that for you every single time. If that isn't mm. important to you, then with all the build, other factors, we can build we them about out. Bevel, and so FOC, you get a guy, you know, I'm shooting pronghorns at 80 yards. Well, no, okay, we're going to flatten that out more. We're going to do that. But one of the interesting things that we found also with Aeroflight, not only are the arrows heavier, they have high FOC, they're tapered. 
Most guys, if they're shooting a 400 to 450 grain arrow and they're shooting fixed sights, 20, 30, 40, 50, I'll hand them test kits, right, of arrows. They'll go out and shoot them. And the two questions or the two responses we get back almost inevitably from guys are number one, almost inevitably out of the gate, I can't believe how quiet my bow is. Yes, because yeah, it's absorbing more energy. That's the, the first arrow. thing my dad said when he started shooting. Yeah, exactly, because the bow is absorbing more energy. Any noise that the bow makes. Wasted energy. It's wasted, wasted energy. energy. Sound wasted is considered energy. energy. So like, Sound is made from energy. So, so like when Tanner, like I did, I, I did. Science. Okay, so I get crazy here. Google it. Like, so like, it's just so simple as shit. You don't think about though. Yeah, right. You know right, what I mean? Right. right. Well, like I this think here, when we, that's energy. When, right. when Brad and I yeah. reconnected a few years ago, I believe I told Craig's him that. List. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he worked at a couple of archery shops before that. That's how I met him years ago. That's actually a pretty good story. No, a lot of people don't know story. how we met. But anyways, we got talking archery when, I re- when we reconnected 10 years later. And that's what I told him a few years ago. I was like, any noise the bow makes, it's energy lost that could have been transferred to the bow. So, like with Tanner's bow, right? So I thought Flat. it would actually not have as good a trajectory with how I set him up as it did. But there's a, there's a line there. And so out to 80 yards, it was, you know, it's moderately heavy. He's coming in at pretty light, 26-inch arrow, yeah. 240 spine, you know, 503 grains. But it, that was heavier than what he had been shooting prior. Didn't the, the, the gap didn't change. Why? Because he was shooting a, a weaker spined arrow before, and it was dissipating that energy. Mm, yeah, okay. It's a cooked noodle it's, versus a not-cooked noodle. It's a wet noodle versus... Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, can, so I, I love that, what, because I just told Jess... Jess I, yeah. like, I saw her, it's like take, her take arrow a, set up the other day, and I said, your, your arrow is like a wet noodle. Yeah. <laughs> I literally said yeah. wet noodle. It's, it's a like a wet noodle versus it hits, a, a solid it's gonna, noodle. It's going to flex. It's a spring. Can you be overspined? Sure. Well, oh, yeah. what, what does being overspine do? In, in tra- okay, so we got to separate. Because we know underspine, that it's like you the gotta, wet you got to separate yeah. trad from compound because you can get away. You can manipulate shit a lot more with a center shot compound than you can with tr- traditional gear. Yeah. yeah. So you, you can you can push things further in the overspine category with a compound versus and the taper. Longbow. The taper affects things differently. So I think it. Fly, so I, I, I think you can manipulate it even or more is it with not? that. Yes and no. Okay. Well, yeah, that's a not, great. Not that, for him, for me. Absolutely. Well, well I, this is what guys ask me that. Get they're familiar. like, where do you do? Where do you? And I'm like, does your mind slow down yet, Eric? No. <laughs> this is, I'm enjoying this. I'm though. still thinking about shit from ten minutes ago. <laughs> this is chaotically necessary, though. Like this, anytime you get anyone from White Hill Journal on a podcast, it's chaotically fun, and this is chaotically necessary. Necessarily fun. This is yeah. so and disorganized. I love the, it. I love it. This is the best. It. This is why every time anyone from White Tail Journal, Jared or the crew, now PR Paletta, um, <laughs> people love you guys on because it's fucking fun. And that's just the bottom line. We like having we, fun. Let dude, me get another beer. Yeah, you should. Yeah. Yeah. This is why we, we drive fun, down here. Fun juice. Hey, Go get some. Hey, yeah. I need some fun juice. Fun, hey, give me a fun juice can. <laughs> yeah. We call okay. it, we call it aiming fluid. Can we all point out the Driving fact that fluid, Jared's yeah. getting beers for everybody? It's kind of a great. Yeah, it's a big deal. It's a great thing. Let's, let's mark that. Um, wow. I don't even remember the, my question. Uh, Overspine. 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 You're gonna get. Reverse of weak spine. What the, duh. But what it's going to do is. <laughs> Thanks, Garrett. I know. It's genius. Weak spine. It's physics, right? Weak, right. Weak spine, usually. The, the word or the phrase that I like to give guys, if, if they don't know, they're like, I don't know what's going on. And I'm like, uh-huh. is your arrow when you shoot it, is it consistently inconsistent? Does it go left? Does it go right? Does it go up? Does it go down? That's always spine. 
Always, always, always. The other thing that we found in, in traditional or is it in compound? Anything because yeah. doesn't doesn't the tuning Thank of you, your sir. bowl play a huge factor in that as well? Though it does, it can for sure. We try to because stay... we shoot fletchings to fix the lack of tune. Right back to your thing on. We don't talk about soft tissue. We don't yeah. ever talk about bow tuning. We just assume Why? by the time you get to me, you know how to tune your bow. I don't know what bow it is. I don't know what you're you down do. the line. You're worried you're, about their one problem. Yeah, right. I'm like, you're got to know how to do that yourself or take it somewhere to have somebody do it for you. But by the time so you're expecting your, your customers to come with a they tuned need to bow know, ready and, to go. And it's happened. And then you can build that. It's in. happened. Cause I how many times know. have you got customers be like, they still fly like shit. You're, and you're probably you're, assuming that it's either their, well, how they shoot or their tuned bow. No, or we'll walk them through it. And you're like, you're fly like shit. And you're like, okay, what's going on? You're walking through it, walking through it. And There's a, a lot diagnosis. Of time, a, a lot of times it's like a doctor. I don't know what it is. I'm just going to start knocking things that I know it's not right. right. So I, I'll go through a lot of times of elimination, right? A lot of times they're either underspined or overspined. Almost always they're underspined or overspined. It's one of those two <laughs> things. Anytime it's aeroflight, it's almost always spine. So that's where you're just not matched up with draw length, with arrow, with head weights, you know, all the factors that come in to get that thing to fly. Mm-hmm. You're out of whack somewhere, but I'll have guys come in and like, yeah, these fly like shit. And you'll call them like, when's the last time you had your bow tuned? Like, uh, 1974. Yeah. They'll call you back They'll call you back three days later and they're like, oh yeah, these are missiles. Yeah. You're not, I'm like, it's not the, you know, if you match within end Sorry. for us, those tapered arrows with all that weight in the front, it's extremely forgiving. Mm-hmm. So it it's is. not, it moves the flex point further away from the point. Jared learned all about node points the other day. Yeah. Yeah. That was new information to me. Node points. In a he, he, he taught me some. Yep. Yes, yes, and that's very interesting knowledge. Like, obviously, you doing okay? I'm not. I'm not. Little smoke came out of one ear. He filled me in on something that that maybe would have taken me a decade to figure out, or maybe I never would have. But he kind of pointed out some different things. So, like, I study a lot of ancient literature, and I will say they had. There's over a hundred different types of arrows. Depending on the situations and different things that I've found, a hundred different between arrow combinations, broadhead designs, combinations, certain things. Almost all the subcultures I've come across did shoot a tapered shaft for their ultra penetrating arrow. Mm-hmm. Like I want to go, I'm going to battle. I need to get through a shield. So I'm not. We're not in war times now. Where the Archery is the we're premier in, weapon. We're straight and shoot scaffolds. So there's yeah. three types. <laughs> it's a shield. Scaffolds are shield. There's three types of arrows that even way back, we're talking 13, 14th century stuff. You got your straight parallel, which is what most people are not, you know, used to. It's a regular shaft. And then you've shaft. got mm-hmm. a tapered shaft, tapered more towards the point. And then you got what's called like a barrel shaped, which is it's fattest in the middle of the shaft, tapered down at the ends. And then there's another type of tapered. The old ACCs. Exactly. Is a barrel. But the best the best penetrating arrows yeah. that they described, I'm just going off of what these ancients described, yeah. was always their heaviest arrow. That was what they took to war or for big game. And it was it was always their heaviest arrow and like say take the, if you study the Manchurian, now they redesigned the entire bow to shoot specifically decently heavy poundage, like minimum 70, 80 pounds, all the way up to 240 is the highest guy that I've found that could shoot. Are you reading this is like books you're finding? Yeah, this is ancient literature stuff. But their arrows were 1,200 to 1,800 grains. And they designed that bow. So that is the most efficient bow to shoot a heavy arrow that 
as far as in the traditional world, would be a Manchurian bow. But you have to hit a certain draw weight, which is 70, 80 pounds, and you have to be shooting an arrow so heavy. Under that, it, it's not very efficient. It, it's not as good as like the Turkish or Ottoman-style bows or the Saracens or the Arabs. All I'm saying is they knew that knowledge way back then. It doesn't matter what subculture of ancient literature I study. When they were going to battle and needed their most penetrating arrow set up, it was always their heaviest one. Whatever. You know, this, this, their heaviest arrow might have been 600 grains for their bow design in this culture, but that was the one that they selected for penetration. Mm-hmm. It was always... It's always their heaviest one. It's Anyone pretty interesting. That I, study. I find it that's very interesting information, and I find it just as interesting that you have dove that deep into it. Oh, oh yeah. this has been this has been something we've been talking about. I'm surprised you actually brought it up. Yeah, the, I, I keep a lot of this. Oh, he, yeah, I'm he, learning he, a lot of he stuff. He told me a lot about moment. it at one trade show, and I'm yeah. like, yeah, yeah God damn, you're deep in this shit. If you if you yeah. ever want to like <laughs> smoke's coming yeah. again, yeah. 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 I'm like, holy well, shit. If you ever want to set aside six hours of your life to like have your mind blown. Have Jared start talking about the ancients and the way they shoot. Maybe we just need to have you come in here and just we'll turn the record button on and we'll just go sit at the bar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that wouldn't be any fun. <laughs> you know, he's talking, about talking to fun. himself. Well, it wouldn't be any fun for you. It might be yeah. fun for us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, listening back, it's like, damn. Trust me, the it's more like I read book. this stuff, the more it's like I feel like I'm a beginner still. So, that's the cool thing about it. Like, I've advanced a lot. But there's still a lot of things, and you know that's, what, that's, you know, that's that a big reason Jared, why I'm so quiet on. You're a lot just of more it. ambitious now. It's like, for it than is this ever true? Been. Is this not? Oh, yeah. Is this true and, or is and, it not? And that's a cool thing that you've been working on, Chef. Is that the fact that you've been diving into the science behind of it, and also, literally, you have the tape that shows it works. Like you can prove that your meth- your your thoughts and your methods actually are successful some of the time because here's the thing, <laughs> a lot of our stuff is anecdotal isn't it yeah like you go and shoot a deer it's just a theory or, yeah. yeah you shoot right. a, you shoot an animal be like oh this worked great and i'm like cool and i'm taking his word for what he said because it's anecdotal right. right where jared's like i've been doing this i gotta and take here, this all in for a episode, long time see a lot season of things. 10 episode three minute 45 this is what i'm talking about yeah. mm-hmm. and and, right. and it's a solidification and, and let it. me show it to you again here and let yep. me show it to you again and here. Right. Yeah. 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 Right. You know. one of the coolest things that you've done is actually broken down with me remember when we were at your house and we were souped up on bourbon and you're showing me how much <laughs> maybe i don't remember yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. tell me now yeah. i don't know what you're we talking were, about yeah i'll come back to you you're, you're a genius you're it's a genius on, on this year <laughs> right. and we we kept watching funky's Velvet buck. Oh yeah, and the amount of drop that that buck yeah. had, and yeah, it was one of the to see. that was yeah. one of the coolest breakdowns that I've ever had. And there wants to be something that we should do yeah. at some point. Is what is up, guys? Switching it up on this podcast and the next uh, two to three, I guess, on how we're doing the ads. Only just because it's hunting season, we know you want to get right to the goods, but um, you know everything free has a commercial. And uh, we've been busting tail. So, um, you know, the podcast is brought to you by Elite Archery. Have you guys seen the new Omnia? Pretty cool. We're in the launch release video for that, talking about it on the podcast. Um, If you have not seen that, get to EliteArchery.com. Check out the new Omnia. It's a fast one for guys who are into that. It's 32 axle to axle, 6 inch brace height, 347 IBO. Um, Lots of great colors, a lot of new features this year. Um, So get on there, um, pick your color. And use code WCB. You can send that to a local dealer um, and get get rocking. So if you're thinking about a new bow, that's one to look at. Uh, have that in the rotation. So check it out. EliteArchery.com. Code WCB. Everything Outdoor Group. Um, also, Big Time. Uh, man, I killed a buck the other day. And 
He had a belly full of big time clover. Um, I hunted just off of my food plot, a little different tactic, and uh, got it to work. So, um, you know, think about frost seeding, what your plans are for the spring or next fall, or just never hurts to uh, already be a step ahead of that. So, um, use code WCB2022. I imagine once it's 2023, if you're listening to this way delayed, um, it would be WCB2023 uh, then. So, um, get yourself into some big time, save some money, enjoy. Uh, what they have to offer. Great people. They're making feeding deer cool again. If that makes sense. Also, Huntworth, huntworthgear.com. I'm super pumped about our partnership with Huntworth and even more pumped about the new heat boost line from Huntworth. Uh, get on there. It's right on the top banner. You click on it. They have all the heat boost stuff in one category so you can shop around. Um, they're great fitting, warm clothing. Um, I did some testing on it on my mountain lion hunt. Love it. Looking forward to uh, rocking it again this fall. Um, I really like the uh, Saskatoon Heat Boost heavyweight uh, pants. They're my jam. I just love the fit of it. I even love the fit of like the I have the Tarn and midweight pants. Love them. They just fit good. They fit nice, um, and they fit good too if you're riding an e-bike. If you do that type of thing, but check out Huntworth. Save some money on your next Heat Boost purchase. Uh, code WCB. 15. So check it out there. Uh, the podcast also brought to you by Scent Crusher. I'm actually getting ready to set up uh, a Halo Series locker light here in the studio. I'm going to put it by the back door. Um, we're going to have some people in and out that are hunting public in the area or have property with an hour, a couple hours of the studio. And um, for our friends, we just say, hey, let's have hunting camp. And so they'll be able to utilize that uh, Halo Series. We actually don't have a shower at the studio. So that's going to uh, keep their clothes from getting too rank. Um, they're just going to have to do, you know, the old-fashioned horse bath with uh, baby wipes or whatever. But at least their clothes will be fresh. Um, and that's, you know, one of the big things. So uh, check out Scent Crusher. Um, and, check you know, if you don't have room for a full-size closet, maybe that's the move for you. It's got the Halo Series unit in it um, and all that. So uh, check it out. I like it. I, I have the big one at home. And uh, this little one's going to be con- perfect for the studio without taking up too much space. Uh, podcast also brought to you by Old Barn Taxidermy. I have my buck there um, doing a nice Euro mount, doing saving the cape for uh, one of the Garbuck replicas. My uh, mule deer is looking good. Uh, we had to put artificial velvet on it, and Sam absolutely killed it. So when I shot my buck, he fell down the mountain and messed up his velvet. And he's like, oh, you, could, you, know, you decide what you want to do. You know, when I shot him, he was full velvet. I want him mounted that way, and uh, I got some sneak peek pictures, and I'm pretty pumped. I should have it. By the time this podcast launches, he should be in the studio, but he's looking real good. I'm I'm super stoked about it. So check out Old Barn Taxidermy. Um, They are some of the best in the biz. Um, They're great, great people. They give you back a great product, and they're excited to work with you. You don't feel like you're inconveniencing them. And also, if you're near Fort Madison, Iowa, you can go there, and it's a one-stop shop. They do processing. They do their tannery there, everything. And then the new G2 forms are looking killer, and they are running like a fine-oiled machine there at Old Barn. It's it's pretty impressive when you go in. You see um, just the amount of mounts they crank out at a super high quality, um, and they're just such good people. You, you just got to love them. Uh, the podcast also brought to you by Loophole Optics, uh, the the new rangefinder, the RX Full Draw. Check that out. We're rocking ten by forty twos. I'm still rocking twelve by fifties. Um, I'm a big fan of having good optics for whitetail hunting. Um, as Michael said when he was in here on the podcast, it prevents FOMO. 
you, you don't have to be like, ah, I'm missing out on the fun over there. You can look up and see what's going on. You can see a buck coming from a distance and decide if he's a shooter before he gets in your wheelhouse, and you might make a mistake like Doug did. Um, so check out Leupold. Um, love them. Everything they do is just top of the line. Um, also, trophy line. I killed my first buck out of a trophy line saddle. Um, not my first buck, my first saddle buck. And uh, I killed out the new Vanatic. And, man, I just love it. It was it was a good time. It was the first animal I shot out of it. Drawing back was a breeze. Um, it cleared up a lot of questions or doubts I may have had about saddle hunting. Um, and I'm looking forward to making it more and more as I use it more and get more comfortable with it and have ideas on how I want it set up and where I'm looking to shoot and all that. I'm a feeling I'll be using it. I, I don't know if it'll be 50-50. To a to a Novix hunt, you know a hang on, you know your standard hang on tree stands. But I think within time I could be um, like a fifty fifty hunter when it comes to that. So um, we'll see. But I'm excited. Um, it does get me excited for that new things. But check out TrophyLine.com and use code WCB to save some coin there. But they have carabiners, all sorts of uh, just different linemen's robes and. Everything you need on Trophy Line. Their packs, the K's pack is what I've been running. Your platform can fit into it. Your sticks can fit into it. Everything. It's just designed for the mobile hunting. No matter what saddle platform or sticks or whatever you use, it'll work. So check that out on Trophy Line. More than a saddle company. It really is. Um, code WCB. Save yourself some money there. And Spy Point Trail Cams. The Flex is available now. Um, and I have four Flexes running right now scattered across several different properties, but um, I'm loving them. Picture quality is great, easy to set up, over-the-air firmware update, updates. I'm in the Insiders Club, um, so that app's great. You can favorite photos and request HD and filter it and keep everything organized. And uh, right now they are $109.99 on spypoint.com. So get on there, check that out. And Camel Fire, camelfire.com, revolving deals. I just got on here right now. They have... All sorts of hunting, clothing, and camo, and these deals expire in nine and a half hours, and then it'll recycle, and there'll be new deals. Um, they have uh, what uh, game packs in here, um, all sorts of goodies. Some merino. They have, I mean, they have all sorts of crazy stuff. Even like uh, HD pepper spray, non-lethal stuff. That looks sweet, actually. There's a lot of cool stuff in here. I get caught up into looking and buying belts, scopes. Water bladders, beanies, uh, towels, rifle cases, you name it. It's on their tents. Um, here's optics. There's tripods. There's sleeping pads. All this is on there right now. Um, Multi-tools, knives, all that. And it just re- the deals recycle. So um, get on there. Like I always say, if you got a hunt coming up that you know you're going to have to get gear for in advance, like if you go and you're going to go mule deer hunting or elk hunting next fall, you get on camel fire and just stay on the ball on it. And then... You just stay on it and then maybe save yourself some money. That might add up over time. So also, Novix Tree Stands. Uh, I'm trying to get through these guys uh, for you. Uh, Novix Tree Stands. Check them out at novixoutdoors.com. Uh, whether you're going to rock the Echo or the Hilo, I like them both. I hunt out of both. I killed my doe the other week out of a uh, Echo, a little bigger platform, comfy. But the Hilo is too for its size. Um, they're both very portable, very mobile. And uh, I run the stick quiver with the regular sticks. I always call them the regular sticks, but it's basically the hunt ready system. If you get on um, and look at the hunt ready system, they have one in an Echo and a Hilo. It's just ready to rock. And that's what I run for my stands. They're easy to set up. 
And I think people overthink it too. It's like it's one strap per stick, and that's all it is. That's not hard. That's not. It doesn't have to be overcomplicated when you're doing a hanging bang or a running gun or whatever, whatever your term is. But yeah, check them out, Novix. Um, I think the code is used up, uh, but if it's not WCB twenty two, try that out. Um, there's two hundred or two hundred fifty uses on it, and I think it's about full. Uh, so check that out. Get on Novix. Um, also, Thermoseat. Um, if your Novix uh, seat craps out and you need a replacement or you just want something thicker or warmer, um, Thermoseat's got them. Code WCTS, Victory Arrows. Uh, been shooting those, the RIP TKOs, 480 grains is my setup right now, paired with the Slick Trick Broadhead. And then new to the family of WCB is Dialed Archery. So dialedarchery.com. It's, uh, in my opinion, the future of what archery sites are going to be for hunting and uh, whatever you really want to set them up. But we're rocking the Arxo site in a dovetail version. Um, and you can pick your colors, um, the body of the color, the dial of the color. You can rock inside sight tape or outside sight tape. There's double pins. You can choose your pin size. It's pretty much completely customizable. Um, they're, you know, based right here, American made, good people. Um, there's all sorts of goodies. Get on. I'm just I'm reading it as I'm talking about it. And there's so much you can do to customize uh, your site and their merch is awesome. So um, check them out. Dialedarchery.com. I'm hoping to have a promo code soon for your guy, for you guys. And we have some stuff coming down the line that we're excited about them. Um, I love them. They're probably the best looking bow site hand down, uh, hands down ever made. I'm rocking green. And I like it. Doug's got purple for the purple rain. Uh, but anyway, I rambled for long enough. Uh, thank you guys for supporting us and letting us do this. And uh, best of luck to you. The hunting is getting good. And that's why you might hear this intro or these ad read on a couple episodes because right now is when it matters. And every second we cannot be together due to the podcast. We're hunting or we're working. If we're not doing those, um, we're with the fam. You know how it is. So best of luck to you guys. Tag us in your photos. Um, if you got working class bow hunter gear, send those our way. Um, we need to do a better job at saving all that. And uh, doing something cool with them. But either way, thanks guys for the support. I'm done rambling. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Seeing how much they're that- on flight and watching how much that deer's and, and you see one, there's three bucks. The situation, there's three bucks, and I don't want to give up too much of it because. You know, on cuffs release here in a couple weeks. Yeah. <laughs> PR guy. Plug it. Plug it. Plug it. Plug it. it. Hey, 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 hey. Watch it. It's coming. No, no, but it's coming, folks. Just like anyway. I say, if I have a couple beers, no one really knows how many I had. So, um, I like that. All right, keep carry on. So there's, carry on. there's these three bucks here, and you actually see one of the bucks. Watch the arrow go in front of oh, his yeah. face. You watch his eyeballs move with yeah, the arrow. Yeah, it was like a two-year-old. Watches what the hell arrow. is that? And you see him you start see to move. Just... And then the other buck actually has a silhouette of his horns on the breadbasket. On the breadbasket. Yeah. Bread and you see the big boy, the velvet, that was 170 or whatever it yeah. was. He, he, no the, big deal. High neck shot. The movement of that, that <laughs> movement of that deer that was the least alert, probably, but he's an older buck. He's a yeah. He's he wasn't even looking. Yeah, he wasn't even looking. Didn't the have movement pads. that he had was unreal. And watching that frame by frame, I mean, I bet he dropped 14, 16 inches. He, he dropped a bunch. He dropped a bunch. A and bunch. also, the further that range gets, now their body starts to twist and turn. And, right. and that's why the fun hit it right here. So the light bulb moment for me was there's a lot of reaction, and unfortunately, a lot of people don't film their stuff, and they never know what happened at their shot when they lose an animal. Mm -hmm. They never, you know, like that one that I shot at 26 yards that got 
10 inches a drop from the arrow going 15 yards to 26. Like, it didn't move. It didn't flinch. Well, Chef, how many times have the guy sent you, know, you, you footage that, that you look at the animal? Before I looked it. at the footage, in my mind, I was like, he got some drop. But I thought I saw three to four inches of drop. Turned out to be more like 10. Yeah. not crazy? Well, and I was like, whoa. But if I had never had the footage, I'd be like, what the hell happened? Yeah, I thought I saw my arrow hit him. And ninety-eight percent of people listening have been in that situation. Exactly. Yeah, I film more of my stuff. It's just such a pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. It yeah. is. It yeah. just is. Bottom line, that's why no one does. If, if it was easy, everyone would have white tail journal on DVDs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They'd probably go to streaming right away. But <laughs> <laughs> should we leave the room? You guys need to talk this out. Yeah. yeah. All right, that's a separate. <laughs> Is that, yeah. Bottom line, yeah. this is all a really fascinating conversation, and it's conversation that I think just we could do the, a six-hour-long podcast and still just keep going through. But uh, you know, the knowledge that sits on this side of the table between you two on archery in general and penetration and arrows and broadheads and all that stuff is is. It's, it's an honor to have you more than this side. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it is, and that's why we're. I'm leaning more this side. But it's thank you guys both for like coming in and just kind of oh, like yeah. spilling some of this sure. and, and bullshitting and chatting. And it's great to see two smart dudes in the game of hunting and archery kick back and drink beer and cuss and kick. Uh, it with well, we it's fun for us because a lot of the stuff that's he he's reading not not anywhere near all of it, but I've read a lot of that stuff too. Oh, I bet. And yeah. so we kind of, hey, have you read this? Have you looked at this? You guys you know, nerd out together? We, we do. Oh, yeah. it's, it's embarrassing, you know, and, and, right. uh, and I mean, you know, we're talking about Turkish archery and talking about it's funny, Battle of Angicourt in 1450. You and know? the cool yeah. thing is like anybody could call Grizzly Stick tomorrow and they'd be able to talk to Gary. They call you when they call yeah. talking to you. There's three of us on the phone, but, but yeah, I'm, I, pick, three I, pick, chance. I pick up the phone every day. And, yeah. and that's the crazy thing is how many times do you call a, like a pretty yeah. major manufacturer like, hey, I can talk to the guy. I can talk to one of the main guys. Cool. It's very cool. You know, and it's well, not I, love a it too, I love it too. That just so relates into what we've already been doing anyway. Like not necessarily like the super extreme weights and and I, but a lot of the other things. But I don't extreme is not really the proper word because sometimes it's necessary. Yeah, right. Yeah. So sometimes it's the weight. Yeah. Um, but to a lot of people, it's it's new, and I think that's where like the fascination is like heavy arrows, heavy broadheads, FOC, all this stuff, and you get some of the crazy characters on the internet that are like they kind of rub people both ways, you know. And and it, there's so many different things. Like we've had I don't know half a dozen heavy arrow guys be requested to do the show, and I think this is the first one we've done. Um, more focusing on it, and I'm glad it panned out the way it did, and um, so thank you for that. But um, you just some of them guys that are out there. There's a there's several. It's just kind of like I don't know about that. I don't have an opinion either way. I'll just stay away from it. I so, want to find the guy that can well, answer why. Well, well here's one thing. Like like okay, right. so I realized right. this when I started studying more of the ancients. Archery had a transition period. There's about a 400-year gap once firearms came on board where a lot of information was lost. And back then, they kept a lot of stuff very secret. So there's not a ton of ancient literatures. So dudes because that are trying to kill secret, the enemy, right? or they're like, we got this heavy with arrow, they archery, figured out. Yeah. Don't let them with, exactly. It. So like Will, National security. Will and Maurice <laughs> Thompson. So like Will and Maurice Thompson here in the U.S., they, they're what started the National Archery Association here in the U.S. And that was like... Right after the Civil War period, mm-hmm. okay, and and then Saxon Pope and Art Young kind of picked it up 
from there mm-hmm. in the early 1900s. Mm-hmm. But if you watch, if you study all of this, going all the way back to the ancient times centuries ago, you watch this progression of archery where it it, it went from, I need this, so I need a certain level of accuracy. I need a certain level of penetration, infliction, and damage. I need a certain amount of versatility, what I'm doing with my body, like whatever position I'm in. A certain level of speed of executing the shot. And the last one, which I don't really factor because I'm all trying to get tight range. Range would be the fifth. So, so that's those the are five like the pillars, pillars he talked about earlier. Yeah. The, those, those are the five pillars. Now, I'm just trying to get close on these deer. So range isn't something that I focus much on. All these other ones. But if you watch and study how archery shifted, now it went to like Olympic style back a hundred years ago, one or not quite that far, but you've seen this tra- transition where archery was got so focused on accuracy to to win the Olympic seat and give our country, you know, this status boost, and everything got focused on accuracy, mm-hmm. and these other pillars got either forgotten about or most likely a lot of this ancient. Script uh, manuscripts and stuff didn't even come into English print until the mid to late nineteen seven or nineteen hundreds. So some are like nineteen fifty. They were all other languages. They weren't even in English print. Right. So Saxon Pope, Art Young, Howard Hill, uh, Will Compton, all those guys, they didn't even have access to it unless they could read that Translated literature, or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Which yeah. they they didn't. So a lot of that. But when I when I read through, and it, it's really easy to see how things shifted and so much focus got put on just solely accuracy alone where back in the old days you got to remember this like when i was studying the manchurians more it, where's the manchurians from so that would be like nor- northern china region okay. Mongolia, and, northern and they china. believe that bow got developed by the jerkin tribes so they hunted a lot of big game too like the siberian tiger the lar- largest tiger in the world and you know, obviously, there's moose in Russia. That's getting pretty close up in that those parts. They didn't have an elephant gun or a three thirty eight backing them up. Mm-hmm. So that they were hunting stuff that was super dangerous that could kill them. They needed that arrow to perform. That's to why right they, in my opinion, from what I've studied and gathered, that's why they came to what they did with everything: broadhead design. Arrow design, arrow weight, FOC. Their their arrow weight, their broadhead, your slug, five hundred grains. Easy, yeah. Five hundred grains is uh, out of all the ancient ones that they have in. What were they in making museums. them out of? And back at stone, the the actual heads. Yeah. They had they had steel. They had steel. So the Manchurians that came up. It's not quite as ancient. See that that came in more around. I I shouldn't say because I can't remember if it's seventeenth century. Okay, I, when I, they yeah. that when they evolved, they're the last tribe besides Is this like before the, or after com- ancient aliens. The Comanches, the <laughs> they say the six shot pistol got developed because the Comanches here in America could shoot bow fast. I haven't studied them much yet. See, I started yet. reading uh, the history of the bow and arrow. <laughs> yeah, um, cool. I'm sure you guys have read that. I mm-hmm. have not finished it because I hate reading because I just fall asleep. But I tried really hard. Seems like you're really into it. And, and, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Because I used to be like super involved, and I, I still am a measure for Pope and Young. But I was like real heavy when I was young, like 19. I was deep in the Pope and Young game, and uh, Ishi, the Indian, you Ishi, know, yeah. They Saxon said he Pope, like, really I, wasn't that yeah. great of a shot, yeah. except for on wild games. Yeah. Saxon Pope and Art Young would beat him on the range, but 
in Saxon Pope right. wrote it in his book. In hunting, Ishii beat him. Yeah, right. beat him okay. always. He shot more instinctually based, but he couldn't beat him on the range. I got gotcha. you. Okay, mm. there's there's some things, and that's another part of archery that's very hard to quantify, mm. and that I believe comes back to like the instinctual. You know, like I used to shoot it's the like control rock. I used to mm-hmm. shoot the controlled process way, and I did that for nine years and loved it for the strengths that it has. But you're going against animals, which are going to react one of two ways: fight or flight. Their white tail is going to get the hell out of there. Uh, another type of animal, a severe and tiger, might come at you. But either way, your autopilot system is naturally wired. So if you train it properly. It's going to handle that situation better mm-hmm. if you train it properly. I got you. And, and and some will say, well, it's only it's only designed to do one thing efficiently. That's not true. That's its main focal purpose. But how well you train it, it can be extremely accurate as well. Mm-hmm. And now you go to a fight or flight response situation that's high intensity. Your body's going to autopilot very quickly, handle that situation the way it's been trained. Take military. You got a sniper for a reason, and they do it a certain way. But you send your close quarter guys in there to combat. They're they're going to be highly trained and running on autopilot. Yeah, because because fight or flight response, it can handle that situation and make the right decision, judgment call in a fraction of the time. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Does that kind of make sense? No, it does. It does. It's no different than when you probably used to fight. Like you get punched in the face, do you bail or go after him? Yeah, you're countering. Yeah. yeah. You know, For so sure. it's just how you're wired and you can train your body to do that. Right. Interesting right. stuff, man. Archery is a very multi layered, yes. fascinating sport. And that's why we're all here. A rabbit hole. Right. And there's yeah. no. It's a rabbit hole. I, that's I, absolutely right. I, yeah. I look at it, there's hole, no man. wrong or right way, right? There's, you know, guys are like, this is the way. The best way is the one that works. I'm glad you brought that up. I don't like ways because they're limits. Ways are always limits. The methodologies are always limits. And sometimes, like in hunting, like hunting deer on the ground, I got to break rules sometimes, limits, things that I'm like, okay, in this situation, I got to break that. So that goes back to, I mean, even if you study like Bruce Lee martial arts, he did the same thing. He didn't like creating limits for himself. Mm -hmm. So you can apply that same thing to, that's one of my things with science. I love science, but what always proves science wrong? More science. And and it might not prove it wrong in certain cases. It might prove that there's another way. Right. You know. So I love stats and I love science, but sometimes certain people will put, will use science as like it, it becomes the only way, and then learning stops. Whatever it is might mm-hmm. stop because of that, and it's like, well, does that kind of make sense? Yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. It goes back to that yeah. anecdotal versus actual visual proof yeah you know like there has to be a a factor of science and every science needs a hypothesis and then a a experiment and you're actually showing the results where everybody can see it that's the difference of being able to video it versus the anecdotal response Mm -hmm. you know if i went out to you like hey guys the other day i dunked you all gonna be like prove it Right, you did. You know, no, no, you didn't. Yeah. I got like, a scene out here, and that's that's the one thing. That's the funny thing about the archery community is that nobody really says prove it. Nobody mm-hmm. asks why. Well, that's my favorite thing. Is I was I always compare. It's funny you say that with my 
I don't want to say it's famous. It's not famous, but it's a, a common analogy I make is there's all these internet experts and all these like uh, small town bar hunting experts you run into, and they're just like arrogant for no fucking reason. Yeah, to pe- and protect yeah. their identity within the way it's that an they learn. But, but the thing is, what's cool about hunting. And, and but also, what's different about? Are we talking about to, media guys? Or are we talking about guys in bars? We're talking about. Both. We're talking about. <laughs> I'm just checking. We're, we're just talking checking. about anybody. That's, right, just checking. that's cocky to you as yeah. like, yeah. like they're just cocky about hunting for no reason. Well, in basketball, if someone's like, "Yeah, I'm the best basketball player," you should have seen what I did. You'd be like, "All right, bitch, let's play one on one right now." Yeah. Well, the hunting, you're never hunting with that person. Exactly. But what you can compare is like when you have guys that like, "Well, I've done this. I've been using that broadhead for years." Like, well, it don't matter if you've been using it for years if you haven't killed. Fucking anything, with it. <laughs> right, 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 right. You know what I mean. So it's like, okay, resumes do matter to a point, and so if you're going to talk to me about hunting, how you're an expert in killing deer, and you've killed no fucking deer, don't fucking talk to me about being an expert in deer. You know? Because you listen to somebody, yeah, or whatever. You could, we're in the information age, so I've yeah. Don't the, regurgitate I, something that you heard Steve Rennell say. It's an echo chamber. Like this podcast is probably yeah. the most. Maybe that I've ever kind of like talked on, say, like a subject like this. I don't like, but I've been down the road a long, long time. Yeah. And I don't like that, like, when somebody doesn't have the, we talked about experience, like, long time of it. They they absorb all this information. Now they're an expert, but they haven't actually lived it. Right. You haven't actually seen it. Yeah, you got to do it. Yeah, exactly. It's, like, just, it's great to absorb that information, but then go also do it so you have the experience, and that's what gives you the competence to back it up. You can watch Bruce Lee videos all day, every day for right. three well, years. I'm not going to hit a ping pong ball with dunk chucks. Yeah, get your ass. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're, you're not. I just got to dunk and not do this. Knock yourself out. Yeah. Yeah. I studied him a lot with how I shoot a bow. I studied his just how he op- used his body, his center mass, how he kept his shoulders. Yeah, I, I realized as my shooting was starting to evolve into something else, more along the lines of what I wanted to do, I was like, ooh, I think there's some martial arts. I've never done martial arts. I don't know anything, but like, Dude, you're who's the, the best at it? Oh, Bruce Lee's the best at it. Let me watch this guy strike. Let me watch him punch. What is he doing with his body? Yeah. Where's he getting his power from? All those sorts of things. So I watched him visually like that. Then I absorbed a lot of... A decent amount. I shouldn't say a lot, but a, a good amount of information with his thinking of of that. And I, I'm like, okay, how can I take that into archery world? Mm-hmm. Like for my shooting style of what I'm doing. Yeah, I know what my problem is. You've been watching Bruce Lee. I've been watching Chuck Liddell. Fucking yeah. <laughs> well, here's, here's <laughs> the thing, though. Like, on another level. Here's here. an interesting <laughs> aspect of it, though. Chuck like, Liddell's the, a man, by the way. Like, And this is this is just my perspective, only mine, because I am not the typical industry person, you could say. You're the PR guy. Yeah, I'm the PR, guy that, you know, guy. I'm usually the guy sitting on the couch up there. You know, and, and damn good PR guy though. <laughs> on damn good. The suit. He's the suit. But the, <laughs> yeah. but the neat thing the about man. it, and is why that we've really built this relationship with you guys and a couple other brands because we like you first and foremost. Yeah, but it helps. That, that never, helps a lot. There's never an, like that echo chamber aspect of it. Like we actually have like true conversations about it, and we also go into it like. You know how to kill deer. You know how to kill giraffes. Jared's all right at it. Like, and you'll never get away from that. Jared's a lot yeah, of people and, that has killed all and, that and, and shit. Jared's killed more moose than I'll ever see. So like, but we can all get. Did in you the say t- Jared or Garrett? Garrett. I, Garrett. I, 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 I haven't missed. Okay. I haven't we killed. We can all get on the table and put our predispositions aside and actually listen to each other. 
for sure. And that's and that's the biggest issue with the with the hunting industry is that people approach conversations by trying to impose their opinion versus actually an article, listening whatever, to somebody else's and being like. No, that's fucking bullshit. Their dicks are already walk... on the backswing as it comes yeah, into the convo. Exactly. And <laughs> yeah. there's plenty of times somebody come up and talk to me, and I let them talk for 10 minutes, and I'm like, I don't agree with anything you say, but I'm not here to have a fucking cock fight. Yeah, yeah. yeah. we're yeah. not going to get into a fight about it. You know, yeah. and, and that's why I like this this platform is because you have different people on here, and everybody has different opinions, and it's not about that measuring contest. It's actually well, about no pandering. To... No. I, I think you guys would be shocked for guys that are actually in an industry that we're building stuff the conversations that we would have if steve and i were here yeah. if you recorded our conversation i think you'd be shocked at how we think about a lot of this stuff oh yeah yeah and how twisted <laughs> it is i'm like we're making it like we right. make stuff yeah like you it's your opinion like i once you make something and then you can have an opinion about it you know yeah. this yeah. works yeah. or that doesn't yeah. like, i mean yeah. but we're, I've, but I've we're also we're your r&d though you are i mean that's, we're, we're yeah. your r&d the guys in the field are some of your Absolutely. r&d well we learn all we the say time. we yeah. by like the community of people that you supply not one kill it's like everybody that's what i mean we learn and the consumer the consumer and so what's that about you is the consumer (laughs) and i I love garrett's line he he told me this i don't know a year ago or two years ago he's like you know there's one problem with this stuff it it works and i was like i was like that's pretty good it works the industry can say whatever they want right you can't it does this i'm like it works it's gonna penetrate when you get there yeah so you can do whatever you want but you can't deny that Right, yeah, for sure. That that part it'll actually do it. Is it perfect? No. Well, is, it, is it more? Are we closer to it? Statistically, well, yeah. okay. <laughs> I always look at if you have in your lifetime a hundred shots at a deer, at deer, mm-hmm. right? So there's a hundred there's a hundred bucks and does in your future, and right now with the equipment that you you're using, the chances are that you're going to put your hands on fifty to sixty of. And if you could change and tweak some things to get it to 70, and I could change and tweak some things to get it to 80, and if I could change and really tweak some things to get it to 90, over your career, how much more success can you have? Right. And for me, as an aerosmith, my primary goal when I build this stuff is not for the hunter. It's not for marketing. It's for the animal. My oh. job is to kill them as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. So my 100%. only concern is I don't care – I am not people are like, oh, you preach single bells. I got back. I don't preach anything. I went with that design because it, we couldn't find anything. And if I did find when something it comes that worked to better, pure penetration, I would build it. Like, and we look and we have, we can't find it. Right. And mm. that head goes back. We didn't talk about the stats of like the fifties. I think you had a Wisconsin report of deer not recovered. And now they did one so recently. There's so a bunch. I of, think that's worth bringing up. I, yeah. We were going to get into that and forgot. So I think we're, we got off on a tangent. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine. Us no, no way. Yeah. We got sidetracked. Yeah. Chuck Liddell. Damn it, Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Ashby actually brought this up to me and, and then kind of got me on this path. We're very similar in that. Somebody will say something and then I got to go do the research and find out for myself. So um, some of this used to be on our webpage. Some of it's been taken down I, where guys can still go back and research it. But several states over the years since the mid to late 50s have done wound loss ratio reports on whitetail deer. Mm-hmm. And in those wound loss ratio reports, it's usually reported Wisconsin's the number one state that's done it. They don't do it every year. Um, but in those wound loss ratio reports, these are reported 
wound lost. So that's a guy actually so admitting that he lost a deer. Yeah. yeah. So right. well, let's figure out what that float number is in there right? yeah. from guys right. saying, I never hit him. Right. 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 So that there's that. So that's deer hit to deer recovered. So the last big one that I saw was in 2005. Um, and it was a report from state and wound loss. I believe it was Wisconsin. And you have any idea what that number was? Wound a loss? That's animals hit to animals recovered with so, a bow and arrow. So, so how many did they actually recover? Percentage-wise. In what year? This was 2005. 2005 had been low because that's that speed expandable life. Right. So, I bet you um, hit to recovered, the percent of recovered to hit? 22. It's not that low. I don't even... Uh, he told me this a while ago, let's so I'm go, not uh, Let's go 63%. 48%. So half. Half the deer hit weren't recovered. Wow. That was reported. And so we touched on it very lightly. So wasn't it like 1956 or something? So the first report was 1956. I'm going to get to that. Okay. All right. So back to my own personal beliefs and ethics on this stuff. So I had mentioned before that I was at Ducks Unlimited. So when I was at DU about that same time, there was a really big push for not shooting hens, right? Because it was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. So I've always been on that. I was a big guy inside DU waving that flag, mm-hmm. right? So I'm like, so I'm already kind of into that. And that was one of those things when someone, I, I saw that report and I'm like, 48% of the deer hit are lost. And I'm like, if we don't police this ourselves, somebody else is going to do it for us. Mm-hmm. And if they do it for us, we're not going to like it. I guarantee it. And this is something that we can very easily clean up and fix. So back to Jared's point, I think the first report's 1956, Wisconsin. Wound loss ratio, everybody's shooting 50-pound bear bows. Not a compound. Shooting fixed fixed two blades, shooting wood arrows, probably. One blade. One blade. Right, right, right. <laughs> one blade, shooting, you know, Fred Bear style, you know, 10 grains of arrow weight per pound of bow. You know, pretty standard stuff. Want to know what the wound loss ratio was in 1956? No, less people, right? Less people. Probably better hunters. Probably on better average, right, 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 right. Better hunters There's on some average. variables there, yeah. Yeah, for sure. But it's still a statistic. Yeah. So you want to guess what the wound loss ratio I'll, was? I'll guess. I'll go. What was it before? 47? 48%. 48%. Um, and I'll go 17%. 16%. So... And the only thing they're shooting fifty pound bows. The only thing different was arrows and broadheads that we could look at, or that's what. So we were like, that rules everything else out, right? So yeah. we were like, how can we less powerful bows? And so, and also for me, um, marketing degree, but I was telling Jared, I'm one class away from a minor in statistics. So statistically, I like to look at things and how that, and that comes back to out of a hundred shots, how many of these are going to be kills? Yeah. So. That's one of the things that we really started looking at for guys is how can you increase that odd for yourself and decrease that odd of loss on mm-hmm. the animal side, right? Mm-hmm. If we're going to hit them, we want to kill them. That's why we right. hit them of in course. the first place, yep. right? So um, so how can we do that? And that was really a lot more of this Ashby stuff on, hey, we just want to – so now let's take that. So now we want to kill them more. Mm-hmm. How the hell do we do that? Kill them eight times. Right. So, and, and so <laughs> the first thing that we came to Seven. was – Penetration. I can't kill him without penetration, right? Arrows kill through laceration, through penetration, right? We cut Mm. as we penetrate. If we don't cut or we don't penetrate, we don't kill him. Mm -hmm. If any of those two stop. So we wanted to make an arrow that could drive a broadhead that could lacerate and penetrate no matter what we hit got in our way. So that was the general idea of things we were chasing because we thought if we could do that, our statistical odds of success of killing that animal, no matter where we hit him, is going to go up. Right. So it became more of how can we play the mathematics game to make sure that we get those odds up as high for the hunter. Right. It's bow hunting. 
it's imperfect. Mm-hmm. It's in, we all do it. It's an incredibly imperfect sport, right? Things sure. go wrong. Things go wrong on tape that we can't explain. See it, you know? Yeah. I don't know how it did that. Yeah. And I'm not even talking about losing animals. You'll see arrows in some places and they, where they come out. You're like, how the hell did it make that S turn in there? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, yeah, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. like, I don't know what it did. Yeah. So we don't, we can't just, so back to, we just want to increase or our philosophy is we want to increase your odds as high as possible, whatever that is. Following those Ashby 12 steps, and you kind of hit on this, do you have to shoot 650? No. But the higher I can get, the more weight you shoot, statistically, it just starts getting better. The better broadheads you shoot, statistically, it just starts getting better. Mm -hmm. And it it doesn't matter the manufacturer. And that's probably not a good thing for a manufacturer to say. It's a great thing. (laughs) I think it's a good thing, honestly. If you follow those rules, no matter who makes it, it's going to work better. So you don't have to, you don't have to be brand loyal on any of this. Right. You follow those steps, you're going to kill more deer. Period. End of story. Yeah. Yeah. You can't really even argue it at this point in this you conversation. Can't. Yeah. But it's mic drop right there. Yeah. Exactly what that was. <laughs> I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to do this, but <laughs> Kirk will mad at me if I drop his mic. Just, <laughs> I'm like, that's a $600 mic. Okay. <laughs> we get another but, one. No, man, that's. I love it. This conversation was fantastic. This podcast was a ton of fun. We could the, do another four hours, I bet. We're, we do Prove have it. to do a follow-up podcast for sure. Um, where can people find you? Uh, grizzlystick.com, S-T-I-K. Um, we're on the web, so you know that's probably the easiest place. Just we're, Google it. We're, at, we're <laughs> Google me. Uh, we're, and we're all consumer direct, so no dealers. Everything you're calling us, we're building everything internally, all your arrows, everything custom. So, love and it. We, we've been doing that for... Since '98, so it's very cool. So, I actually called Garrett before he knew I was with Whitetail Adrenaline just to like gauge how he was with customer service, treating me like I was his best friend. I love it. And you don't know that, but I did. I, I, we tried to do that for everybody. It so was that awesome. was you, you know, built, we just take it. All of a sudden, I got four trial arrows in my at, <laughs> well, at home. And I don't mean to beat up on pro shops, but a lot of times you you know you hear guys, and I'm like, from my own experience, the pro shop experience is doesn't matter where it is in the country. I walk in the pro shop. There's four guys at the counter drinking coffee. I walk around for 15 minutes. Nobody acknowledges me, and I walk out, right? That's my pro shop experience in a lot of places. Yeah. Now, there's really good pro shops, but, you know, that's mm. – and I'm like, boy, we don't want to do that. And not only do we want not want to do this, people have a lot of questions. Yeah. And the only way we can do this is explain. And that was always a big fear of me at the beginning was somebody would ask me a question I didn't know. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that always got – I didn't ever want to get caught. Like, I don't know, you know, yeah, yeah. and if I do, my answer is, I don't know. I'm not going to make answer. up stuff. Right? Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't, I'd rather I don't, have that. I'm not here to lie to you. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, um, it's just, it's a different way. I think overall more guys are going to, we talked about this, the cat's out of the bag with this heavy high FOC thing. Yeah. The industry can try to quash it the as much as they want. The ancient secret is out. And then you guys are like, it's so new. I'm like, yeah, it's only been around like 10,000 years. This right. is, you know, you know, like, this right. is not new. And I tell you. It's, it, it's new in terms of our lifetime, but if yeah. you actually study it, it's, it's uh, not new. They compound. Been around you got to think about it, too. Like when I studied these ancients, they didn't have Instagram. They didn't have World Wide Web. They, they weren't communicating. They, they were keeping all their trade secrets secret. But it's like there's some things that. All of these were like, ooh, for penetration, this is what we need. Yeah. And they didn't share that. Like, oh, you'd, you'd be killed in some of these cultures. It's literally life and death for those guys. It's yeah. Yes. We wouldn't exactly. be here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's homeland security. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah we that's a great here. point. That's, uh, that's exactly Jared, what it was. Where can people find you, man? Where are you at? Well, I'm, I'm probably usually, through me. Tuck <laughs> 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 behind my computer sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
the You're company, closer to the, us. The company, you can find what. Yeah, I am now. Yeah, moved to Des Moines. Uh, the company, Whitetail Adrenaline. You know, we'll get more active on social media here now that we're in the hunting season. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, we're on Instagram and and Facebook, but and TikTok. We have we're not on there every day. We have a pretty good following on TikTok. I'll leave. We probably will nine. now as we get eleven people. people. Yeah, nine TikTokers. Yeah. Oh, nine TikTokers. <laughs> I, I, I've never been on TikTok. Like I said, nah, so I don't know. stay off. Just it. like Jared didn't know he was on our intro. He didn't yeah. know he had a TikTok. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Very flattering. Hundred thousand followers. Awesome. I didn't know yeah. that. It's really not that good. You've only been on there for seven years. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Pr Paletta, where can they find you? Uh, mostly behind the scenes herding cats, and the cats are going to be Jared and Tanner and Chancey and cats. Yep, is Chancey out there cheating with lead weights and stuff and and walleye? Yeah, tournaments? yeah. Chancey just caught a forty-seven pound bass. Yeah, that was fourteen inches. Yeah. Nice. So we're yeah. pretty excited about it. Grand yeah. Yeah. And he didn't win. That's yeah, crazy. that's crazy. <laughs> I don't know Somebody Rick. Else is cheating better. Rick. <laughs> no, people can find no. me at PR PR guy Paletta. And actually, I got to give credit to you guys. You are the Branding person. Branding them the PR yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. They didn't, so long story short, I don't think Kurt and these guys knew my name. So they just called me PR guy until they actually knew my name. Well, that you were, I was like, dude, you're like the PR guy. I was like, no, because I remember at Nebraska, I was like, we're just going to start calling you PR guy. Yeah. And the PR guy Paletta just has a ring to it. Wait, yeah. PR Paletta is, is PR perfect. Paletta. Yeah. It's perfect. So, you know, mostly I'm the guy behind the scenes with uh, Whitetail Adrenaline. And if you ever call the phone number on Whitetail Adrenaline, you get me. So... I'm a guy that you that's a bad thing up. to say. <laughs> 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 it's true. Don't say that. Calls. What about this FOC? Yeah, I heard about. Hey man, I heard you on WC. Well, you said you had someone recognize you in Nashville. Yeah, this was crazy. So uh, I was in Nashville. I have a couple of good friends of mine that are artists down there, so I try to sneak down there once in a while and watch them uh, perform. And I'm wearing a uh, working class bull hunter shirt, and a guy comes up to me and goes, "Hey, your PR guy." You're Paletta. PR Paletta. PR yeah. Paletta. And I go, yeah, yeah. He goes, how do you know those guys? I'm like, man, white tail adrenaline's got to get a little bit better with our marketing. He knows you from WCB, but I have no way. And I'm like, oh, I, you know, I'm part, I love of, it. I'm part of white tail adrenaline. The guy goes like, who? Oh, okay, cool. Jared? <laughs> yeah. Jared Sheffler? Who, who never the hell is that? And then we got wow. TikTok. I don't know. Yeah. He did say, I don't know Subway. I don't That's know Jared. Great. I don't guess. Yeah, don't Subway. compare Jared. me to Subway guy. <laughs> didn't he get a, didn't he, isn't he in federal prison for... Yeah. Child? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's he was uh, focusing on other six-inch subs, so... Hey. Uh, <laughs> fuck that guy. Yeah, Eric, we know where guy. to find dark, you. Dark uh, turn. Murdersgiraffe.com. Yep. Yeah. Yep. The yep. bearded... Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Black giraffe. Yep. Com. Bearded face killer. It Bearded was a black killer. giraffe for the record. So nice. Nothing to do with race. It's just the, yeah, the color. The color of it. Yeah, it just happened to be there. So <laughs> thanks for clarifying that. Thank you guys for being here on the this podcast. Awesome. Thank you for Thank having you us. Thank you so much. Yeah. It, was, what a blast. it was a blast. It was awesome. got it was me fun. thinking about Real pop my cherry for podcast. I think I'm just going to retire. Two this. hour podcast is going to lead us right into another part two here soon. So yeah, we got to do this more okay, often. Nice. Let's get a beer. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And another one. Everyone, thank you so much for listening. Hope you learned something, had some fun, had some laughs. You know what to do. Go shoot your bow. We love you. Later.
life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'm the old there, baby, right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.